Time now for the Hershenfelds. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is a real-life Freudian psychiatrist. He's the real deal. And his son, Ethan, eh, not so much. <laughs> his book is, hang on, where do I do this? Today is Now is the name of the book by his not-so-much uh, Dr. Samuel Benjamin. I say not so much because he's a very you're a very successful fake psychiatrist. And yeah, Dr. Benjamin, he doesn't have a degree, but he has a degree of several degrees. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't complete either of the degrees. And he has a degree of expertise and he has a lot of opinions and he's very confident. Confidence can get you all the way in certain jobs. Like if you're digging a trench, confidence is really all you need. But in certain jobs that require a little more training and a little more skill, confidence, it can be a trench. <laughs> uh, and you <laughs> can fall into it. running so. for Congress, it turns out confidence can get you all the way to the top. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. No qualifications. It, and George Santos runs a confidence game. Yes. What is the connection between a confidence game and lying? And why do they call it a confidence game? Because they get your confidence and then they abuse it. Say more about that confidence. What do they get from you? What do you mean? You, you believe in them. George Santos would go up to somebody and say, I'm from Goldman Sachs and I was on this volleyball team and I went to the Olympics, whatever the hell he said. And people just eat it up. People love to hear a story, especially a story of this poor immigrant and Holocaust and Hispanic and, and you name it. He's got he's down in the trench and he worked his way up, except he didn't, except his story, you know, storyline. And when he's telling a lie, he's feeling good. I think so. Yes. I think he's feeling a mix, I, I would say. There's the good, which is there's this compulsion to get one over on everybody. Right. It's the world of something. So in as much as you're succeeding in that, you're feeling good. But at the same time, it's all driven by this vast cavern inside his soul and inside his personality that he has to keep filling with horse manure. And so it's a it's a... It's just a constant, uh, he has to keep refreshing the pile of manure, and then he has to keep being being encouraged by people's willingness to swallow it. But it's a terrible way to live. We can we can have sympathy on the, he's on a treadmill. He's like a gerbil. Uh, he's mm -hmm. like a gerbil on cocaine. He's, he's a miserable, <laughs> he really is in a state of absolute abject misery, and it can only end end in one way, with him accepting Jesus and repenting for all of the lies. So there was a, a, a friend of mine used to sell wine to restaurants here in New York City, and he would go around and the markup was phenomenal. He would sell 10 cases of wine, a Chardonnay to a restaurant and advise them, you know, this, the, they would buy in bulk and it would be something like a quarter a bottle or like maybe a dollar a bottle. They would put it on the menu and they would charge $25 for a bottle, $50 for a bottle that might actually, I think he said 50 cents. He said the thrill of getting one over, that the, the restaurant owners would just 
laugh sadistically, salaciously at the idea of what they were able to get from a worthless bottle of wine. What is the difference between that and a congressman lying to voters about his past? Um, I nothing but just the alcohol content. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, same nonsense. Um, but it, I, I think that the ability and the willingness to do what the lying congressperson does or the restaurateur who's enjoying ripping off a customer. But are they is it is that a ripoff? If you say this bottle of wine it costs fifty dollars, are you obligated to say to the customer, it costs me a dollar that the markup I can't even do the math on the markup is well nowadays it's different because there's the internet. You can just go on your phone and see what that bottle really retails for. So I think that that probably that anecdote you couldn't have that. I, I, there, there, there's much more transparency now with all of this. I see. Things. Okay. Yeah, I this mean, is what I, he used to do. Okay. Yeah. But what I was going to say is that both of those activities rely on the idea that you're completely separate from this other person, that you're in an antagonistic relationship with the world. It's me against them. It's zero sum. And just a little bit of willingness or ability to see that we're all in this warming soup together could prevent you from wanting to engage in that sort of thing. And it could also reduce the amount of joy you could get in screwing someone else over. Ideally, that's the place you get to where you don't really, you don't relish that so much. I would say that would be a little more, that would be the the source of health. Just a little bit of awareness of the fact that we're, we're in this, we're in this system together. And some people have that degree of health, and a lot of people don't. And yeah. and and the restaurateur is, um, I think he's relying on the fact that many people, if not most people, except for real connoisseurs, many people will judge a bottle of wine by what they paid for it. And if they paid a lot for it, my, this is delicious, don't you think so? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the placebo effect. Yeah. Something like right. that. Okay. Um, the bank run, Silicon yeah. Valley Bank. Yes. I was just talking to Congressman Alan Grayson. He said all banks are built on trust that you give a bank $100 to keep, they will lend out 80 of it. And if you want it back, depending on how many people, want their money back, you may not be able to get all your money back. It's all, it's all built. It's a ha- it literally the whole financial system is built on trust. But, but well, yes, that's why they build, at least they used to build banks like these big fortresses with huge doors. And, you know, that gives people a sense of trust. Mm-hmm. Also true. That if everybody in America went out to fill up their gas tank in their car right at this moment, there would not be enough gas for everybody. Right. That's how a bank run works. There's a loss of trust and everybody, whether that's bona fide or not, but there's a group loss of trust and everybody at the same time says, I want my money. And obviously they can't do it. 
And you said, Ethan, the yeah. etymology and the word trust. Oh, oh right. That's what oh, they call these started. places like MHT, Manufacturers Handover Trust. The name trust was in all these. Uh, and also credit, the word credit, credit Suisse. The word credit comes from, it's the same root in Latin of, of believing and trusting. I believe, credo. You have to trust that. You have to believe that these people are... Uh, are going to give you back the hundred bucks. Well, one thing that uh, I, I wanted to add about run the bank runs, the real the real problem with bank runs is that there's almost never a public toilet in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have the runs, yeah, you have to run to like a, a deli next door or somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, people don't. Why is that? What What does that say? At a Freudian. Since we have an actual Freudian psychiatrist, I think I read that bad, there's the anal phase. Yes. And, and bad toilet training during the anal phase can cause a bad relationship with money. It can turn a kid and make him. It can, cause, it can cause complications in your relationship to money. It can also cause a rash. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two things that can happen. Is that true that that bad toilet can, training can affect your relationship with money? Shit often in dreams in the unconscious represents money. Yes. <laughs> Let me think about this for a second. So please do. Please do. You're you're saying that if you dream about going to the toilet, you're 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 well, you're making a deposit. They call it making a deposit. Yes. And uh, so what would what would cause greed? Like a child to end up being greedy and not sharing. A, mm -hmm. a mother rejecting the bowel movement and saying this is disgusting? That's I one one, one one common manifestation of, of what we're talking about here, um, and it's the one that I engaged in myself, is um the, the the toddler can engage in this fantasy that the 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 poop is sort of a gift because the parents really want the child to sit on that potty and make a poop and then the child can withhold the gift as a means of control and can actually get an emotional reaction out of the parents by not giving the gift or giving the symbolic donation <laughs> And so th this leads to what's called uh, the anal retentive personality, which is a, a tendency to um, I, it, it can lead to uh, lots of things, mainly constipation. <laughs> and literally, constipated people, not all, but many are very miserly and hoarding their money. Wow. As well as other things. Absolutely. And they have writer's block. They could, yeah. They so don't produce absolutely. They don't produce. So, so it is statistically speaking, or there, what one could suggest that sometimes constipated people also have uh, trouble with money, being generous, and I would assume with love as well. Absolutely. Listen, Fr Freud made a very early, very interesting statement, which is. The original ego is a body ego. In other words, <clears throat> all the functions of the ego originally are played out in the body of the young child. 
And and this is a an example of exactly that. And there, and it, it, it's true what the doctor says. And there, <laughs> there's there, there's there's another another interesting manifestation of the connection between the spirit and the body and um, the bodily functions. You'll notice if you ever um, if you're ever sitting on a toilet or if you ever uh, and someone knocks on the door or if you um, knock on a door when someone is in the toilet, almost inevitably, the person says the same sentence in response to that. They say, I'm in here. Right now. Why do they say I'm in here? Well, you could say just to let someone know that someone's in the bathroom. But what they really mean is I, my deepest <laughs> sense of myself the I, the ego, wow. my spirit wow. is in this act of defecating. <laughs> the I, the the ich in German, the I, the ego is tied up inexorably with the act of excretion. Not not to not to diss your your father. You can go to a real psychiatrist. We could go to Dr. Benjamin. You go to Dr. Benjamin, but absolutely. You, we were talking on the show last week, not the three of us, but a, a different segment about the Republican Party's obsession with bathrooms that you have to be of the right gender and the right sexuality. It's got to be, you have to have a penis to use this room. And somebody said in the comment section, this goes back to separating black people from white people, that white people could only go to the bathroom with white people. Right. Uh, Republicans also are all about fiscal austerity, not spending money. Mm. So, yes, they are the anal retentive party. I, I like it. I like where you're going with this. They are not generous in any sense of the word, except for guns. Except for guns, because the guns can go off, but they can't. They're constipated. In all seriousness, just there's something to this. In terms of toilet training, how important is toilet training? How do you pronounce the word trauma? And is it safe to say that somebody like Chris Christie uh, or or who or Lindsey Graham, whomever you know, whoever is out there? that they were traumatized as a child with their toilet training. It's, it's really hard to know. It's on a case. It's on a case to case. Well, well ask the doctor. No, I would say the exact same thing. It's, it's totally speculative unless you deal with the individual person and get to know the individual person's history, which the person may not even know initially. Right. Just like the the, the person who has this vast emptiness within him that he's trying to fill up by putting it over on other people and stealing mm -hmm. other people, he may not be conscious of the vast emptiness. He may be, be just aware of, oh, goody, I, I did it once again. Right. So I decided, you know, B.F. Skinner, I decided to... Uh, be BM Skinner. And with my kids, I would have different, I would try different toilet training. And with one of the kids, I, I would change their diaper and shout, how dare you do this to me? 
This is how dare you? This is I. This is bad. This is horrible. But look at how what, did that kid turn out? Pretty good. Very loving. <laughs> very, very generous. Very guilty, I'll bet. Uh, what would happen theoretically? Don't try this at home. If because I, I have to think that with three hundred fifty million Americans, there are a lot of people who should not be parents. Yep. There probably is a mother or father who is changing a diaper, fighting about it and complaining and yelling at the child, not not knowing it. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt, not knowing any better. Is that a can a child? Is that always going to be traumatic for the, the child? But think about the parent you're describing. You're you're describing a very narcissistic parent who cannot think of the child's needs, who not cannot be gracious in fulfilling the child's needs. So, yes, this person is doing it with toilet training, but they're doing it across the board right. with every aspect of bringing this kid up. And then the kid's probably, probably, not even for sure, but probably going to end up a mess. A mess. Well, he's making a mess. He should making a mess, gonna end up a mess. Except every once in a while you have a kid who, who's subject to all sorts of insanity like this, and somehow, you know, figures it all out and 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 leaves this all behind and has a decent life. Uh by the way, for the chat room, I picked up on the word behind because the chat room they're you know. Sorry. And then leaves. So that <laughs> What did people know? Let me ask the author of Today is Now, Dr. Yes. Samuel Benjamin, your alter ego. Before Freud, what did people know about toilet training and human sexuality? Were was everybody being traumatized? People knew very little. First of all, there were no toilets. There was just rocks. So it was called <laughs> rock training. You would go sit on the rock. And it would take weeks and weeks to get your toddler to sit on the correct rock. There was one rock for doing that. All the other rocks were for everything else you did. So, right. but it took a while to get the kids. Okay, that's the shit rock. And then that was it. It was rock training. Um, so, but like um, ancient Rome, ancient Rome, they didn't know anything. They didn't even, you know, they 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 were speaking. They were speaking Italian, which isn't even a spoken language. They were trying to speak. They were, they were speaking Latin, but Latin isn't spoken. It was it was it was very cumbersome. Um, In ancient Rome, you would go downtown to relieve yourself. And they, you would sit that there was open aired stalls. Right. Mm -hmm. And you would talk. There was no shame. As I understand it, what I've read, they would just sit and talk to one another while they uh so they weren't in there. They well, were. Um, are you speaking from personal experience? Uh, some, no, I, I think that the ancient Romans would go and they would have like a public toilet where everybody would sit. This is this is from the, the people who invented the vomitorium. So right. Also, <laughs> this was the crapatorium. <laughs> I, I think. Um, we don't really know what they were up to because like, if you go to Rome today, you see the Colosseum and you can see the aqueducts and you can see all sorts of ruins. Right. But if you go there and I've been, 
there are no ancient Romans left to yes. tell us what they really were up to. It's all guesswork. Okay. I'm just wondering, I, I think the the doctor, you have a lecture, right? Like you, What's that? It looks like you're getting ready to leave for your lecture. No, I don't have a lecture on Thursday. Okay. I, I have a lecture one Thursday night a month, but this is not it. Okay. But I want I wanted to, to say that did you ever see Buñuel's movie The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie? Yeah. Anyway, he has this great scene in there where the very formal dinner party, people are sitting on this formal table, and each one of them is sitting on a toilet. And then one guy whispers out of the side of his mouth to the one of the attendants, and he's asking, where can I go to eat? So the guy takes him to this private little room, and he locks the door. <laughs> and, so, and a little tray of food comes out, and he eats it in private. So, so there's shame associated. It's ass backwards. It's ass backwards is what it is. Ass backwards, exactly. Ethan, you were going to say something because I wanted to turn to mob psychology in a second. Um, I just I was going to talk about the invention of toilet paper. Yes. Which, um, so papyrus was the first. First, it was cuneiform, and that was on that was on stone. People were writing in stone. Right. Papyrus. They were also using the stone at the crap rock when they had to. So it was it. It was paper, paper for writing and paper for that. And it was stone for that and stone for that. So, um, <laughs> And it was paperless. <laughs> it was all, yes. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Let's move ahead. Why do children laugh at this stuff? It's innate for a child doctor. In all seriousness, doc, the, the children, doesn't matter what you tell them, they will always laugh at this stuff. Why? And lots of adults, too. Well, yeah, but but a child knows it's funny, doesn't it? You don't have to teach a kid. Yeah. They, they just in, inherent, innately know that, that it's funny. Mob, mob psychology. Yeah. We are coming up on the 20th anniversary of George W. Bush's illegal invasion of Iraq. Uh, everybody, not everybody, actually, it was the lar largest peace protests uh, in, in world history to oppose the invasion. The UN said, don't do it. France, I think Germany also said, don't do it. The world was against America and a lot of Americans were against it, but a lot were either on the fence or for it. Um, in part because of the great propaganda job being done, you know, weapons of mass destruction, et cetera. And convincing, is it harder now when they say we're a divided nation and, and people are looking for reasons, any sliver of hope? Iraq was a disaster for the Iraqi people uh, and we haven't prosecuted anybody. I, I get that. And I'm not. But the fact was, he George W. Bush didn't have the entire country behind him. And months after, you know, we went in in 2003 by May, people were saying this is a debacle. Isn't it better for this country to hate, for us to hate each other and to just say the other side can do no right, no matter what 
the other side is doing, we're rooting against the other party because as bad as Iraq went, wouldn't it have been a lot worse if we were all united and came together over that? But if we were united, maybe we would not have gone in there. I don't know if you caught this little piece of news, but I saw somewhere that Congress is now rescinding the, the, the war to go yeah. into Iraq. Uh, it's yeah. a little late, guys. Yeah, 20 years after the fact. But we often, a lot of us are terrified that somebody like DeSantis or Trump is really going to finish the job and get this country to be like you-know-who. I don't think you can do that here in America because we all hate each other. I, I take your point, and I, I agree. I think this, this everyone lamenting the last few years, how divided we are, how divided we are. It's it's silly, in a way, because uh, we are divided. We're supposed to be divided. It, that's what it is. We're built on uh, on this system where we have different parties. They disagree with each other, and then they have to compromise. The, the part the, the part of the equation of compromising hasn't been going very well. Not a lot has been getting done, but uh, but yeah, it's a it's definitely a a strong uh, protection. It's a it used brakes, to work put the brakes. What's that? It used to work out better. Yeah, yeah, but there's a it puts the brakes on any insane uh, crusades that we want to go on. Twenty five twenty five percent of this country says they're up for a national divorce. They polled, Axios polled Republicans, and they won't have dinner with Democrats, which they're Thanksgiving. Have, how are they going to ruin a Thanksgiving dinner? I don't know. Here's my prediction. Yeah. I'm terrible at predictions, just so you know. My prediction is <clears throat> that Trump is going to win the Republican nomination yet again, and that he's going to lose. Yet again, in the general election, that is the most likely thing to happen. Yeah. And this is going to continue. I think eventually Americans are going to realize what we're fighting over. We have no control over. And uh, I think we're going to get exhausted. The ha- The hatred. Do you I mean, I wake up angry. You know, I was like angry at Sarah Huckabee. And I'm thinking, I can't, it can't be Sarah Huckabee, the governor of Arkansas. And I'm talking to my sister, and I'm, this is a violation of her privacy. I apologize. But I effing hate her. I, and I'm thinking, do we really hate Sarah Huckabee this much? Do we really hate these people, or are we afraid to hate? I people? think a case can be made that you can only hate somebody that you have a personal close relationship with. So, Dr. Samuel Benjamin, who should we hate? Yeah, it really is just, I think you should reserve that for your loved ones. <laughs> exactly. As the, doc, the doctor suggests. Otherwise, it's it's like bringing a, a gun to a knife fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What it's are you reading? Much. I'm reading, I'm actually, I, I found, I've been reading lately. Uh, I'm reading an, uh, a new history of Watergate that is by a guy. I think his name is Graf. Really great. It, mm. it's, uh, I thought I had read everything about Watergate, and he really gives it a great. I guess it's like a, almost a fifty-year perspective. What are you reading, Doctor? Speaking of beating a dead horse, a Watergate. Yeah. Oh. 
I'm I'm reading um this book by uh Pema Chodron, the the Tibetan Buddhist uh monk writer. It's called How We Live is How We Die. It's a book all about dying and about the Tibetan Book of the Dead and about ideas about the bardos, these in-between states that uh that we live with all our lives and go through, and then about the ultimate ones that have to do with the end of your life. It's about sort of uh, accepting that all our lives we go through many, many experiences of things coming into existence and then going away. So death is all around us at all times. So it's a kind of encouragement to get comfortable with that. And then you can apply that at the very end of your life, apparently. there's It can be helpful and useful. So you die a good death. And doctor, what are you reading? I'm reading a very interesting book <clears throat> written by somebody whose pen name is Der Nister, which means the hidden one in Yiddish. And he was probably the greatest Yiddish writer of the 20th century. And he died in one of Stalin's gulags in 1950. And the book I'm reading is called Regrowth. And it is short stories relating to Europe in the 1930s and related to the Holocaust. And the two beautiful things about his writing is it is so subtle that it's just amazing. For example, he never uses the word Germans. He never uses the word Nazis. He always says the occupiers. And that's just an example of the subtlety of his writing. And um, he recreates a world that no longer exists. And it's like a time capsule. So he's got seven, I think, short stories in this book. And I'm reading along. And then the fifth one, I start reading. And some bell goes off in me. As subtle as he is, I cannot finish this story because I know where it's going. Too upsetting. Too upsetting. And then, and I read a few more pages and I say, now I'm positive where it's going. And I close the book. But I'll read the last one or two at some point. That's, uh, that describes my experience of reading the New York Times every day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both. Any gigs to plug? Besides today is now, everybody should go by. Today is now. Um, March 25th, I'm going to be performing in D.C. I think I've mentioned this. It's a an animal rights benefit thing, um, but it's animals only. So sorry. No. Oh. No, invited. <laughs> All right. Thank you right, so thanks. much. I'll see you next thanks. week, I hope. Thank you. I'm glad Bye. your technology is now working for you, David, instead of persecuting you. Stones, cause we just
Police can't get no satisfaction Democracy's in change We could bury its remains But infotainment culture has infected our brains We're living every day We're living every night In the USA of distraction The wisdom we receive The reality we perceive Is burned into our brains by cable TV Scandal, crime, and disaster lead the news Fear and white anxiety shape our views The fourth estate has crumbled into an irrelevant heap Critical thinking is all but asleep Cause we're living every day, we're living every night In the USA of distraction The pathological pursuit of power and profit Drives everything in sight, not sure we can stop it. Corporate plutocracy has risen to the top. We've lost the power to think, so we shop until we drop. We're surveilled and monitored while they keep us all distracted. So we never notice that our data has been extracted. We're living every day, we're living every night in the USA of distraction. All right. A libertarian notion of sweeping deregulation has been put into motion. Our eyeballs seldom stray too far away from the mega monopolies that command the day. Diversity in media is gone, gone, gone. Slowly fading out like a sad, sad song. We're living every day, we're living every night in the USA of distraction The telegenic spectacle of tabloid celebrity has squeezed out any room for social integrity With profits to be made and minds to be molded Media crushes the truth even when it's been scolded It's books now more than ever that people need to read Folks are hypnotized by their Twitter feed We're living every day We're living every night in the USA of distraction. neoliberal nightmare that cares more for Wall Street than anybody's health care. We've been bruised, battered, defunded, and dismantled. We've been diminished, infiltrated, manipulated, and manhandled. The sovereignty of citizenship, the bulwark of democracy, 
is under full attack by the cult of meritocracy. We're living every day. It's time, time for the professors and Mary Ann. Professor Jonathan Bick is here, Professor Mary Ann Cummings. We have Professor Ann Lee. But first, let's go to Joe in Norway, who is going to be cooking for us. What are you preparing for tonight? Good evening, David. I thought I'd uh, finish up my series on, uh, on gluten with a very simple Essentially, one ingredient dish, two ingredient dish, water and flour. So I'll make potatoless gnocchi. So potato uh, pasta. I was think I've been this is I've been thinking about making gnocchi with flour because go ahead, you got me so, on a daytime kick. Go ahead, except from gluten, right? So yeah. uh, normally gnocchi is made with potato. Or squash, or this would be healthier. This is actually wheat is healthier than potato. More importantly, it's dirt cheap, so you don't have to. All you have to do is add water and salt. First, we're going to cook it in a saucepan with hot water, so it changes the texture a bit. And then I fold it several times, kind of kneading it to make it a little more fluffy, so it doesn't remain uh, heavy. So it's not quite as fluffy as potato gnocchi, but it's not as dense as typical pasta. That's right. a special, special technique. And uh, I, I cut the, the wheat flour with a little bit of barley flour, give it a little uh, nuttier flavor. And okay. then I'll make something with the zucchini, a little sauce with zucchini, sauteed zucchini and shallot and garlic, and parsley, maybe some sage. Okay. Well, we'll be watching. Thank you. Professor Ann Lee writes a nightly update on the war in Iraq. Not the, I'm sorry, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. We're only up to our one year anniversary in Ukraine. And Professor Ann Lee writes a nightly update on the debacle in Ukraine over at the Daily Kos under the name, the handle Annie Lee. And what do you have to report? Any new developments? Oh, it's all, it's all kinds of nuttiness. You know, they, uh, uh, what's interesting uh, is that uh, uh, the, the Russians decided to uh, come in contact with, I think that it, it's an unprofessional contact with a, uh, an American a Reaper drone, which was doing a, a regular, almost daily um, surveillance trip uh going just back and forth on a straight line over the black sea 
And so the Russians decided, well, just, just you know, we're going to fire a shot across their bow and we can sort of get away with the kind of harassing, you know, aerial assets. And that's kind of a normal kind of thing because it's happened over all kinds of places. Uh, and screwing with uh, American drones is kind of an important thing. So anyway, they, they sent two uh, Su-27s to intercept it, sort of, you know, flying with it, uh, kind of looking at it for about 30 or 40 minutes. And then they suddenly decided, or at least one pilot did, and I, we'll see whether he falls out a window or some, something soon hmm. or has some sort of other accident. But they decided to release their fuel on top of the drone. It, the, the drone is fairly large. If you've seen, it's a standard kind of thing. We've seen lots of pictures of the um, MQ-9 uh, Reaper drone. And this particular one, because now we have photos of it, didn't have uh, any missiles on it because, uh, you know, you can slap an air-to-air missile on the damn thing. It could probably shoot down one of those Su-27s, but it didn't. It was just minding its own damn business. So it uh, dropped fuel. You you have a switch that you can spray fuel, uh, you know, to, to uh, empty your fuel tank. So they dropped fuel on the damn thing, trying to get it to sort of choke up and fall uh, intact. Uh, and failing that, they uh, somehow it interfered, whether it was a, a wing tip or the nose, uh, mesh to screw with the uh, propeller, then the thing uh, fell out of the air. Um, uh, there was a front end accusation that it was collision or that it shot down or blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the darn thing sank. But the more interesting thing now recently is that uh, uh, the Russians have this this 100, 100 year old. Uh, actually, it's a uh, 120-year-old uh, salvage ship that they've been using uh, to, you know, uh, pull up stuff from the bottom. And it's, I think, 500 meters down uh, beneath the surface of the Black Sea. So they're they're trying to, they think that the Russians are going to come out and try and pull it up just like the Glomar Explorer. And uh, what's interesting, of course, is that uh, it, it's a combat zone, so it'll be kind of amusing to see whether the uh, Ukrainians decide to sink this thing, uh, this uh, salvage ship. Uh, just and it just it would just be amusing simply because it is so old, and you know it 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 can't defend itself. So that'll be even more amusing, and it'll be more amusing because uh, you know they'll send the Black Sea Fleet out to defend this one little salvage ship, trying to dig up a uh, you know uh, the wreckage, a sunken. MQ-9 Reaper drone. So that has, and and I'm sure that Seymour Hirsch will have something to say about it. Yeah. So this will all be fun. They're afraid that they'll be able to disassemble the drone and learn our secrets. Indeed. Uh, although the, the U.S. Uh, uh, PR guys in the Pentagon said, well, no, we took steps not to blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I assume it has a self-destruct option. Right. Right. And... Peace talks? Any movement there? No peace talks. I, you know, there's the usual misinformation and disinformation about peace talks. But no, there's a lot of other things going on, like uh, dis- disinformation relative to Bergoshin and the Wagner people, um, whether there is or isn't going to be a, um, uh, a, a spring offensive. This is all kind of weird. And then... Uh, uh, you know, other kinds of weird disinformation having to do with uh, 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 what is his name? Shakasvili, uh, the 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 original guy who was in um, uh, in ninety one who helped uh, separate Georgia from the the Soviet Union. Uh, he's uh, on his deathbed, I think, and so that's interesting. And 
than uh, Moldova, of course. And and so it's it's going to be just fascinating how we're moving along here. Otherwise, there's the usual business of the first four um, MIGs have been tr- or should be in um, Ukraine by next week from Poland. So there is the transfer of ultimately what could be 29 um, MIG-29s to uh, Ukraine is happening for the spring offensive. It's going to be a, a pretty interesting uh, offensive uh, if, assuming these things are going on, reports on uh, the transfer of Belgian support vehicles, uh, uh, more tanks are being uh, transferred. It, it's getting kind of interesting. All those promises about transferring stuff is now coming to fruition. And the U.S., of course, with with this drone being knocked down, has been you know, talking about doing other strange things. So there's an interesting kind of uh, signaling going on back between among these. Uh, uh, litig- oh, and and the more interesting thing, of course, a couple of days ago, they had a uh, a B-52 training mission over Kaliningrad. So it it it's just uh, uh, talk about rattling sabers. Lots of strange stuff. In fact, America, pro- America did that. Yes, it's probable that the knocking the drone down was in response to the B-52 flights over Kaliningrad. So you take that for what it is. Okay. And I understand the Wagner group can no longer dragoon prisoners. Well, they're having trouble doing that. But, you know, to offset that as a matter of disinformation, uh, the Russians are saying that women are being now uh, conscripted out of prisons. So that's quite, sort of interesting. In Ukraine or? It, no, no, in Russia. The Russian... Russian women prisoners are, are being uh, offered uh, a chance to fight for uh, Mother Russia. Well, let's talk about Donald Trump Jr. If there's one thing he can't stand, it's wokeness. This is an entire party that is at war with wokeness. Most of you have already seen conservative author Bethany Mandel on Rising. Uh, Brianna Joy Gray asked her to define the term woke, because Bethany Mandel is there promoting a book about how wokeness is destroying America. Here is, most of you have seen this. I don't think it's as bad. I'm going to defend it in a way, because I think she did explain what woke is, if you listen carefully. You know, when, when well, we talk about traditional you? Right? Would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple of times, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So... I mean, woke is sort of the idea that um, I this is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke <laughs> is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re- to- totally reimagine and re- re- redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression. Um, sorry, I. It's it's hard to explain in a fifteen second soundbite. Yeah, take look your it, time. Okay. <laughs> so darn those darn those sound bites. Here's she, some more rope that you can use to hang yourself with. But she did say she did say we have to redo society. That the, the idea of wokeness is redo society and create hierarchies of oppression. That is her answer. What does that mean? And look, I can take a stab at it. Please. I think her definition of wokeness and wanting to redo society, that, that what woke people want to do is they want to create hierarchies of oppression and that people who are oppressed 
the most are entitled to more from society than those who are oppressed the least. So she kind of did sum up wokeness if you listened carefully. Did she? Isn't that what wokeness, if you were to interpret wokeness, that's how you could define it? Well, I mean, another way you could spin it is sort of pro-inequality, you know, where uh, uh, and and the, well, Brianna, first of all, Brianna Gray is no leftist, uh, you know, kind of uh, progressive or whatever it, uh, so the whole thing is sort of a a weird little, you know, self-criticism kind of about refining the concept of woke. But yeah, woke is uh, uh, no different, I, I would assert to you, than than the uh, uh, claim of political correctness or whatever, which has been, you know, fortunate, uh, unfortunately kind of bottlerized uh, uh, since then. So it's no different. It's the same tactic. The problem, of course, is now that uh, they've accused banks of being woke because... Oh, let's, get the, to that in one sec- let's get to that in one second. I just want to make sure... Because so I've watched the coverage of Bethany Mandel and they're making fun of how, you know, what an idiot she is. But I think we're losing sight of the fact that she kind of defined it. And I I would like to just swim here for a few more seconds by defining what woke is and why it's not evil. In my estimation is being woke means you recognize your own privilege vis-a-vis somebody else's. You ch- you check your privilege, even if you're oppressed, that you have to pay attention to society's uh, determinants because of how you were born. It just places emphasis on the kind of meta or the framing. I, I think that's really what, what wokeness does mean for the right wing. They want to be able to uh, frame something as being something, whatever woke is, is evil. Um, it represents all those folks who would like to uh, 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 drag queens everywhere. Uh, it, it, it has to do, you know, whatever is nasty or bad, it's got to be woke. You know, right. those the, those wokists trying to make us read actual history, those wokists who, you know, are invading our bathrooms or or making our our sports teams uh uh somehow unequal uh whatever that means or not com- non-competitive like the guy who the coach of the Christian school in Vermont who withdrew his team because he his team would have to come up against a uh a, a team in this is a high school uh that had a a, a trans person on it it's just and this was uh, the second round, I think, of the state championship in basketball. So it's just a girls basketball. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. Interesting or tra- tragic. Before we talk about Don Jr., Professor Marianne or Professor John, do you want to weigh in on this definition of woke? Well, I have been mostly, you know, reading, uh, listening to uh, discussions online from black leftists who, in their perspective, is that woke was a term that was expropriated from the Black community by white liberals, and that they've kind of cheapened the meaning of this. So a company, you know, instead of addressing the real roots of uh, racial inequality and deep uh, oppression and and racism and sexism and transphobia, they, they do something very 
um, they, they do something performative that actually entrenches the system that keeps that just feeds off of racism and sexism and transphobia and having everybody hate each other, especially the lower classes. We used to call it tokenism, you know, like instead of changing your policies that systematically like uh, work against students of color or students from a certain background, you hire somebody of that group and then they double down on your bad rhetoric. And you can just say, hey, look, what, what, what? We just hired a, this black guy or this mm-hmm. trans woman or this, you know, hey, like, uh, who is that Amorosa woman was like a spokesperson for Trump. I mean, like, and I turned on Fox News recently and I thought and thinking there are a lot of people of color on Fox News right now. Right. And, and I think that's kind of one aspect. But the, the real one, I think I even experienced, as I said, within the last month or two, because Leaders of African countries and South American countries are now talking back to Western leaders and said, we pretty much had it with your condescension and your colonial assumptions about what our country is. Our countries are rich. We're just suffering under, you know, centuries of your policies. So, you know, in a sense, then after reading a few articles, you go back into Foreign Policy magazine and you see some of the articles and some of the headlines. And I'm like, oh my God. I mean, that used to that seemed to me so neutral before. I'm going, my God, the condescension, the kind of, you know, barely hitting hitting racism of some of these articles is now just jumps at me. So interesting. So that's why there's such a con because there's people are using wokeness in a very disingenuous way. And there are many groups using wokeness in a disingenuous way. And they and mono, many of them seem to be discounting the groups that that term arose from. And so it, br- it brings to mind Dave Chappelle's stand-up specials where he compares the transgender community. They're doing better than black people are. That is that where this resentment comes from? Do you well, think? I think with Dave Chappelle and to a certain extent, Chris Rock's new special. Oh, Chris Rock's new special is explicitly named "Selective Outrage." But uh, but yeah, I, I mean, the problem with Dave Chappelle and all these comedians too is they're still in a system. I mean, their humor is commodified too. They're capitalists and. I think this very system is preventing all of these groups from making common cause. Like, hey, we're all fighting against each other, yet the same group of people are still profiting at the expense of our various communities. And that's... Did you watch Chris Rock's special? Because I saw it and I read the criticism. Some of the criticism was that it had a conservative bent to it. It makes me wonder if comedy is a conservative form. Well, that's kind of like saying Bernie Sanders was had problems with black people, had problems with women, had problems with trans, even though he hosted like the first gay pride parade in in Burlington, Vermont, 40 years ago. Um, 30 years ago, he was being dubbed, you know, an honorary woman. Um, because of his very poor, but you know, but because he actually had some sympathy with 
white uh, with white working class people in a town like Kenosha or a town like Detroit or towns mm-hmm. like that was kind of the, the Democratic Party. Well, the Hillary Clinton wing of it sort of ran with that and accused, you know, that not only uh, Bernie, but everybody who was for Bernie of somehow being racist or sexist or transphobic. Right. You see, it, it, they just use it. It's just used too much as a political weapon. So right. I'm not even interested in those politics anymore. You know, I want to see people fundamentally challenge the system where all these hatreds are just being fed into. And I want to listen. I mean, I'm Dave Chappelle is a capitalist. So is Chris Rock. But, you know, I'll listen to black dudes because they've got an experience I don't have. And they had a point. I would like to sit down and have a conversation with people like that before we start labeling them anything at all. Right. Professor Jonathan Bick, your thoughts on wokeness and whether or not it's a form of cultural appropriation or anything about wokeness. And I want to talk about the bank. So I would say, so the way that that person uh, def- defined wokeness uh, after a lot of hemming and hawing, even though she wrote a book on it, <laughs> uh, was that it, the, she said, wokeness is uh, creating a hierarchy of oppression. And that is a good description of our society. Uh, that is our society, that we have created these hierarchies of oppression. They're not formal in law, usually, uh, but they have been established through different means. And the idea that, you know, a, um, a white male who grows up in a, a wealthy suburb is uh has no advantage over a uh a black trans female uh who was uh born in uh into poverty uh is absurd i mean of course that person's going to have advantages and what disturbs conservatives is the idea that anything should be done about those hierarchies that's what they really hate and they call it wokeness and they kind of they 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 try to use this term to obscure what most people in this country and I would think around the world would really want, which is a society where everyone uh, can flourish and everyone has at least, if not, um, you know, a equal starting point, uh, a, a relatively uh, equitable one. Right. Well, let's. Go back to Don Jr. The Republicans are saying that Silicon Valley Bank failed because of its woke policies. <laughs> that it's so insulting to even their voters' lack of intelligence. But Professor Ann Lee, tell me about the genius Don Jr. Well, not unlike well, the the Times came out. Uh, they are actually reprinting an article from the 2018 that showed uh, 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 Don Jr.'s uh, and the Trump organization's involvement with Signature Bank, which is uh, a fallen similarly to uh, Silicon Valley Bank. But in, in both instances, they are, uh, of course, uh, been unregulated or less regulated under Trumpism. Um, and and uh, because there are kinds of banks that do in, invest in startups and a variety of other entrepreneurial ventures, 
but have not been uh, held accountable and especially vulnerable for bank runs, we can see that that is being deflected by, and this is the, the meta of using woke, is to divert your attention from the fact that it was a uh, risky investment and, and incompetence uh, and money laundering, as the, the New York Times is now suggesting, because of the involvement of uh, Russian money being uh, laundered through uh, Signature Bank. Now, what's interesting, of course, is the contradictions of this, because, of course, um, uh, mainstream media leaped on the Signature Bank failure uh, in terms of Barney Frank being a uh, a member of the board, uh, he had he got a seat on the board and a million bucks, I think, at, at at some moment when he left Congress. But the reality, of course, is then that that of course is the front end framing, and which has gotten screwed because um, uh, Ivanka Trump is now on the board of Signature Bank. So this is just where it's t- this the the meta the attempt to delimit this, you know, they're hoist on their own petard. So in effect, these are woke banks, the same things that they've been trying to divert attention. Now, the reason why they call them woke banks is because uh, investing in uh, using venture capital to invest in uh, diversity and and to try to diversify various uh, boards of shareholders of these various uh, uh, venture capital in, in engagements is meant to be the the kind of right wing criticism. Well, it was because they tried to diversify their their fund uh, funds in terms of social responsibility and and not because it was uh, stupid money following even stupider money and. Uh, this is this is where it falls down. This is where wokeism gets all kind of screwy. Like, for example, and I'll use this as a bad example, and and you know it's it's not going to go that far, but it's interesting that Puerto Rican uh, members of the Connecticut legislature have brought forward a bill to uh, uh, eradicate Latin X from uh, state documents because they think it's uh, and they don't use the word, Aerohoc- but it, it in effect is the same. So anyway. That's my little riff on that. Yeah, yeah. Sarah Huckabee just got rid of uh, Latinx. And then there's ESG investing, environmental, social, and governance. But that's just, that doesn't really exist, does it? Well, it has existed de facto, but it, is, it has existed de facto. Socially responsible investing has existed for decades. This is just, you know, they have a three three letter acronym to, you know, to to sort of attack. And, and it's just, well, it's just uh, uh, the same kind of misapplication or, uh, you know, sort of uh, framing that is that is problematic. I think the fact is that, uh, you know, the Trumps are woke. And God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. Let's I, talk. Let's talk. Go ahead. Yeah, can I just say that this reminds me of uh, th- this trying to blame a failure of a bank on the bank being too woke. Um, reminds me of during the uh, great financial crisis, trying to blame that crisis on the Community Reinvestment Act. Yes. Right. <laughs> so this, uh, black, too many black people wanted to get. Uh, own homes. They blamed it on Sean Hannity was literally blaming it all on black people. Yes. You see, it wasn't that uh, the financial sector had pressured uh, the government to uh, to change all sorts of regulations that allow them to do whatever they wanted to do, which would include giving loans to anybody who could breathe and uh, having no risk if those those loans were not 
repaid because they sold the loans as soon as they got them to Wall Street, who would repackage them, chop them up, and misrepresent them as um, A-rated securities. So, uh, you know, they're they're using the idea of any sort of uh, making society better for everyone uh, as the problem. But the actual problem is what they support, which is unrestrained capitalism. Right. Which isn't capitalism. So eventually it's authoritarianism or fascism. Yeah. I, I found I now that just jarred a memory. I, yeah, I found going after the community banks particularly egregious as, as the community banks had a remarkably low level of defaults on their mortgage because they had a very careful mortgage screening process because they lent to the community and they didn't bundle up those mortgages and sell for the fee to some, you know, to a Wall Street uh, hedge fund or something like that. And, and that was like right after Countrywide, which I had pulled my mortgage out of because of how badly those guys were behaving. Countrywide went belly up. They had heard something like 64 trillion dollar market exposure. <laughs> when I went, I actually phoned into the XM Radio Fox Business News Saturday morning show. And I just wanted to kind of rant or chat it up with them about that. I said, 64 trillion. I mean, the entire residential mortgage, the entire residential market in the United States at the time was valued at 4 trillion. And most of us were still in our homes paying mortgage, but say, you know, all of that disappeared. 64 minus 14. Where does the other $50 trillion come from? That's how they evaluated it. I mean, on their books, they had this valuation of their financial instruments. I and mean, people were just out of our minds. I mean, this you're talking about many Earth's worth of economic activity in principle in one company. That's how insane that accounting system is. And apparently that accounting system has just leaked back. I mean, you know, when we aren't looking and the first, you know, it, 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 as usual, you have a Ponzi scheme and the first, you just convince a few, a bunch of other people that your stuff is about to take off. You bail out like the president of that bank did like a day before what sold something like $3.6 million of his uh, stock in the bank and then told all his friends to do the same. They caused a run on their own bank. And they went to the government. Oh, there's a run on our bank. Right. This is comical. I mean, but it's like, and, and I don't see anybody getting serious about, you know, we need to, you know, do an FDR, you know, scale, just grabbing of the monetary system. It's too important to our economy to let these bozos, you know, just try to make pixie dust out of all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about France. Professor Jonathan Bick, Emmanuel Macron took advantage of some kind of constitutional defect and acted unilaterally and raised the retirement age from 62 to 64 without parliament's approval. There's going to be a vote of no confidence. Oui, oui, monsieur. Um, <laughs> I'll pretend I understood him. <laughs> Uh, yes, David. So here we have an excellent example of a system pretending to be democratic, 
but uh, in reality, it is not. Um, so for at least two months, there have been protests and strikes that have been engulfing France in opposition to a proposed plan to increase the retirement age there. Uh, eight large-scale national protests in two months have uh, taken over France. Uh, Professor Marianne tweeted out a video. I was shocked by the violence. Oh, they don't kid around. You know, the people of France, this is one of the ways they let the government know they're not happy. No, no, I'm talking about the police. Oh, the police. <laughs> oh. Professor Marianne is the only person who can burst my bubble. She showed video on Twitter of the cops going NYPD on the French protesters. Mm -hmm. mm, I haven't seen that. Um, so you've got, you know, uh, for example, the garbage uh, collectors are on strike, uh, you know, the large piles of garbage all over the place in Paris and, and other cities. Um, currently, a full retirement age uh, in France is 62 for most people. Uh, the legislation uh, would increase that to 60, age 64. In the U.S., uh, the full re retirement age was raised uh, a few years ago from 65 to 67, and Republicans now want to raise it to 70. So you'd have a lot of people dying before they could ever retire uh, if we were raised it to 70. Uh, and today, French President Macron ran through legislation to raise the retirement age to 64 without a vote of the parliament in the National Assembly. Uh, um, and a, um, a no, as you said, a no confidence vote is scheduled, uh, by tomorrow, uh, against his government. And if that no, no, uh, confidence vote were to pass, which it likely will not, but if it were to pass, his government would fall and, uh, that measure would not become law. Uh, this his decision to use this, and I'm going to tell you exactly what he used, uh, created uh, protests inside the National Assembly where opposition lawmakers uh, sang the French national anthem and banged on their desks. Uh, people outside on the streets said they're going to continue uh, this protest uh, against this uh, this forced legislation. And um, we'll see. I, I, no confidence vote is expected to take place uh, either tomorrow or Monday, I guess. And if it succeeds, it would bring down uh, Macron's prime minister and the cabinet and the uh, the increase would not go through. And he used the he's Article 49.3 of the French Constitution, which enables a government to push through the National Assembly without a vote. Uh, and it gives opposition lawmakers 24 hours to file a no confidence motion against the government, although it's rare for these motions to succeed. The article has existed since 1958, but over the past decade, it has been increasingly seen as an undemocratic tool by governments to strong arm legislatures. I mean, this is an anti-democratic uh, uh, tool. It, it, you know, it, it's not just like it happened it, to be perceived as such over the past decade. It, it, to me, is it from its uh, beginning is the idea that sometimes the president 
has to move very quickly on a piece of legislation and there's no time for debate and he's going to risk his entire government by acting unilaterally. And then if they want to, they can vote, vote, give him a vote of no confidence to protest his invoking of that article. Is that how it works? Is that the yes. thinking behind that, it? That's the thinking. Yes. But the problem there is that uh, the majority of legislatures usually are in power. Uh, that is, they share the same government, the uh, same party as the government in France. And uh, they would be not not eager to overthrow a government that is of their own party. So this is a way to get through very unpopular legislation without a vote in the legislature, regardless of what the opposition is like in the legislature. Everybody could be against it and it could still push this thing through. Right. Um, it's it is a terrible uh, tool that the executive has in France. And France has this very weird system like Russia, which is a uh, presidential parliamentary uh, system. So it really takes the worst aspects of the presidential system, which we have and which we spread over uh, Central and South America like a virus and uh, the parliamentary system, uh, such as in uh, Britain and, and most of continental Europe. Uh, Macron says that France's pension system is, quote, an increasingly in, in an increasingly precarious state because retirees are living longer and um, their numbers are growing faster than those of today's workers whose payroll taxes finance the system. Okay, so the, the, the problem here then is that people are living longer. And there aren't as many new French people. They're not replenishing. Yeah. So there are all sorts of ways you could uh, handle this, right? You could raise taxes on wealthier workers, uh, you could perhaps expand the uh, payroll tax to, I don't know uh, precisely in France if this is the case or not, but you could uh, expand it to include uh, capital gains, uh, not just uh, wages. This is the same thing that we are confronting in the United States. So there are all sorts of things they could do rather than raise the retirement age. Uh, now, while it's true that France has a lower retirement age than most countries, for example, in Germany, it's 65 years and seven months for full retirement. In Italy, it's 67. And in most countries in Europe, it's 65 or over. Um, but if the French people want to be able to retire early, they should be able to do so. And they should not have one man overriding that preference. In fact, two thirds of the French people say they disapprove of Macron's plan. Two thirds. Okay. So we've got a super majority against this. Um, you know, and, and, and this is really causing a, a, a split in France. Um, it's certain that the labor unions are going to continue to protest uh, against this law if it is enacted. And, um, we have people like uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who is the leader of the um, Alliance of Left-Wing Parties. He said, there will be strikes. There will be continuation of protests. There will be all kinds of things. You know, here 
we are in France and it's not a peaceful country. Uh, and a quote from the Communist Party of France, which is a sizable party, uh, this government is not worthy of the French Republic, said Fabian Roussel, the leader of the French Communist Party. The brutality with which this reform has been imposed is hard for everyone. And even centrists like Charles de Curson, an independent centrist lawmaker, said the government is not merely a minority in the National Assembly. It is a minority in the entire country. And we are a democracy. But that's the problem. They're not a democracy. They're a republic. And the two things are not the same thing. And people should not confuse those things, because if you have a country that because of the governmental structure, whether it's Article uh, 49.3 of the French Constitution, the Electoral College of the United States, the Senate of the United States, the uh, gerrymandering that's used in the United States and some other countries, if you have these things that purposely distort the will of the people, then you don't have the sovereignty. You don't have popular sovereignty, which is a requirement of democracy, whether it's a representative democracy or a direct democracy. You don't have it. So it's not a democracy. And people should realize that. And people should fight for reforms that make their systems more democratic. Amen. How do you see this playing out? I, I imagine that they probably will not vote for uh, the no the uh, no confidence uh, measure. And, and that so the retirement will, age will be raised. Yes. And this is going to, you know, you can only do this so much before people say, screw this system. Why? Why are we, you know, pretending to live in a democracy, pretending that our will matters when they can overrule that whenever they want. And it always seemed to use these sorts of measures against progressive legislation or institutions. Isn't that a coincidence? Well, it sure feels like more of a democracy than we got going here. I mean, they, t they take to the streets and I mean, Professor Marianne disabusing me of the, uh, the freedom to protest, notwithstanding, they do protest in France. It's part of your civic responsibility. Didn't uh, Macron run promising to raise the retirement age? I think he did. Well, did he say that? Before, in his... Who was the uh, president before Macron? Oh, that oh. was Hollande, right? Hollande, the socialist. Was this one? But and there was one before the, him. He raised the retirement age. That was much more like we call neoliberal. Yeah. And I can't remember who it was at the time. I, you know, I, the people of France are doing the right thing because if you allow them to do this without any resistance, they're just going to continue to do it and they're going to continue to do it faster. I, I mean, you're going to see this in the U.S. You know, that that clip you you played of Mitt Romney, that disingenuous lying sack. Um, Go on. <laughs> he. Uh, he is trying to use his lawyerly skills to try to put words into the mouth of uh, the woman who was testifying in front of that committee. Um, so she was having none of it. And, yeah. he, and good for her. Good for her. Push back against that type of nonsense. Uh, yeah. I mean, so what he's doing is saying, 
oh, no one on the Republican Party would consider cutting benefits of people receiving Social Security. Okay, so you see what he's doing there. He's saying cutting benefits, and he's not including in that raising the age of retirement, which, of course, is cutting benefits. In fact, you're cutting years of benefits by doing that. People will not get years of their Social Security payments because you raise the age of retirement. That is cutting benefits. But he's trying to to parse it. So like, that's not, oh, that's not reducing benefits somehow. He's a liar. And he's trying to steal your money. Don't let these people do that. Oh, no. And might I add, uh, Professor John, it's just like, this has been a a long running con of of, uh, reactionaries and neoliberals. and I, I don't even discriminate between the party because there's a crisis in Social Security. No, there is not. There is a surplus of Social Security. And for ever for decades, really since Reagan, but we have been financing our deficits by cutting taking from the Social Security fund and mm-hmm. just replacing it with IOUs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the tax breaks that we have been given to the to the very wealthy, uh, the increase in, in in the military industrial complex, who's now most of the money goes to wealthy hedge fund Wall Street types. Um, that money comes from all of these places, but it doesn't benefit uh, all the rest of us. And Social Security since it's this big pile of money is just way too, and it's a big pile of money to borrow against. And it's just way too tempting a target. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and watch the, the, the Republicans will be egregious, but you'll see many of the Democrats, you know, just take this party line that, well, we really have to be socially responsible and everybody has to take a it and everybody has to compromise. no. Because not everybody got the benefits from this spending and borrowing orgy that's been going on for decades. And they're going to it, it, they're going to use this bad logic. The other thing, too, um, you know, and this is where I think, again, Stephanie Kelton and modern monetary theory makes very important points. You know, you can only. What I like about her approach is that, you know, you have to set tax and spending policy by what you're by what you're actually able to produce as a country. And of course, I don't care what you call it, but older people, more frail people will always be supported by the robust adult population, period. And the robust adult population, again, for decades has been productivity has been going up steadily for the last 35 years. And where is all that productivity and all that excess value gone? To the very top. So, you know, we have to, and I wish that that particularly progressives, I didn't hear any progressive voices out there, you know, countering the likes of, uh, countering what Mitt Romney was saying. And by the way, every time I hear Mitt Romney, all I think is Mike McCray. Mike McCray, Mike McCray does a great Mitt Romney. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but there is a CNN K file of yeah. Ron DeSantis from 2012 talking about his support to replace Medicare with a system in which the government, you know, to privatize it and vow to privatize Social Security 
which is cutting Social Security. The minute you privatize this, it's you're cutting it. Well, of course. And that's going on right now. There was a Trump. I mean, it's gone on in various forms over the decades. But, you know, a, a program that Trump used for things outside of Medicare Advantage, where you just have what they call direct administration from you pay private insurance companies to, quote, manage people's regular Medicare accounts. And suddenly people find and they didn't choose this. And when they are denied certain medications, certain care, there is no recourse. And there's states that have been, and we've discussed this on the show before, but there again, that's thievery. I mean, that is theft. It's like you broke, you flagrantly broke a contract, people paying in our Medicare taxes for years and decades. And people chose not to opt for Medicare Advantage, but go into traditional Medicare. And then they're being exposed to the vicissitudes of the for-profit insurance company system anyway. It's just, you know, um, I wish that, that progressives, I guess many progressives feel that they can't speak too loudly because it's Joe Biden and he's got to win again or a Democrat has got to win again. But what do we win? Yeah. And the election is far, far away. Yes. Now is the time. Now is the time to mm-hmm. fight amongst ourselves. Let's talk about the unipolar world. After mm-hmm. the fall of the Soviet Union, it looked like it was the end of history. And it was just what America said. I think that lasted until what? Well, it's still, I mean, it's not that you're going to have a cutoff, but there are two things that have happened. Um, and we have discussed this before, but it's good to review people hear the phrase petrodollar. And, you know, we have to figure out what the petrodollar means. After 1991, 1971, there was the the U.S. dollar was denominated by a system of exchange rates. Bretton Woods, I believed it was called. And I think that was ultimately set by gold and other assets. And they decided to detach that you know, because from that, because then they could effectively print money because they were dealing with it. Yeah. Inflation problems. So what kind of gave the dollar, you know, some stability was agreements with the Saudis at the time that, you know, we would back them. We would not go to war with them. We would, but that all of the, uh, the exchanges in oil, all of the uh, transactions involving their oil would have to be denominated in dollars. And and as uh, Pepe Escobar explained, oil to this day, by far the biggest commodity. I mean, it is this 900 pound gorilla in the commodity market because every single country needs energy. And so if you have to buy oil in dollars, then there is always been, there's always going to be a demand for dollars. And so we kind of got to write, we basically got to, print money without any uh, real consequence when that was the case, because there was always going to be, when you have a growing world and increasing world that's that's industrializing, and if you countries who wanted to raise their standards of living, number one thing you need to buy is oil or gas, you know, because right now windmills and solar panels and even nuclear reactors aren't, you know, there's no replacing the oil at the moment. And uh, well, um, 
The latest round of sanctions as a result of the Russian-Ukraine war on Russia um, kind of forced it to not, basically it had to, it's, its markets, its customers in Europe had been reduced by the sanctions. They started trading with India and China. And what was remarkable about that is they started making a payments directly in rubles or making exchanges directly in rubles, rupees, and yuan, renminbi, but I think it's yuan is the, the uh, currency, physical currency of China. And that emboldened the Chinese to start making their own deals with uh, the United Arab Emirates. I think that was the first big one where they made an agreement to buy oil, not with petrodollars. So that's, you know, that that's one big rumbling. And I think we're just beginning to see the ramifications of that. The second one is that um, there has been an emerging like coalition to rival the European Union, and that is BRICS. And we talked about that. And that is Brazil and Russia and, and India, China, and now South uh, Africa. And I think there are about 20 countries that have applied for membership in that in, in that economic partnership. And that alone, just the current countries alone are about half the population or more of the planet. And they are emerging companies. China has it had a remarkably successful anti-poverty campaign with its, you know, Belts and Roads Initiative. And suddenly you have, and I think as a result, I think the attitude that you see of these, what we somewhat derisively have referred to as, you know, the, the global South are now feeling like they have an option other than being nice to the West. It's not means that they're not going to do business with Europe. They're going to be doing business with Europe. They're going to be doing business with the United States. But we will not be able to bully and strong arm these countries anymore. And I think this was going to happen sooner or later. I think the Ukraine-Russia war has accelerated a lot of this. You know, this basically has rattled the world order to su- in such a way that, um, you know, things happen a little more quickly. Well, and it, given, it, feels given, like, it feels like America has done a pretty good job bullying Europe. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, the European, the populations of these countries are not happy with the decisions being made by their leaders. But like our leaders, there doesn't seem to be much connection with what the majority actually wants done in terms of policy and what gets done as policy. Many of them have are having elections now that, you know, require more and more money. And, you know, um, so I, I don't know. Uh, it's really hard. People, it's, it's really hard to overthrow a government if, you know, you have a fairly comfortable life. You know, if you have your flat, everybody has Netflix subscriptions and everybody wants to see like the, you know, the next ser- the next season of The Mandalorian. And, you know, you, you want to do that first before you go out and, you know, rattle society to extent that it might actually threaten your comfortable, you know, uh, status of living. You know, it's it, it's hard that way. Things sometimes things really do have to be bad or people have to be scared enough before things change. Um, 
I mean, we had a chance, it seemed in the 60s, because we were riding a wave of optimism and we were riding a wave of when you had enough people feeling economically that they were part of the system, that people, you know, weren't so obsessed with getting money themselves that they could go on civil rights movements and then they could support, you know, uh, social justice and, and things like that. But then we had the Vietnam I, yeah, War. I and, yeah, I think know, the better the country does, the more it wants, the more likely you are to see social change when the economy is good. I think when it gets bad, people become frightened and lethargic and only think about themselves. I think for a while until it becomes really bad. Yeah, but I think, I don't know. Well, it is really bad. It's really bad right now. And the American people are, like you said, watching The Mandalorian. No. I don't know. It, it is. I mean, our. I, I. I don't know if we can completely extrapolate from our society to like Europe because people are out on the streets by the tens of thousands, you know, uh, protesting their government every weekend over there. And people, the government actually seem to be kind of mindful, or at least you know, a little bit intimidated by that. Yeah, um, and you see, you see the firemen out there with the people uh there's there's definitely a sense of solidarity in, in well ever since ever since the reagan i think the big achievement of the reagan i mean uh, of the reagan administration was to divide and conquer when they crushed a union and there was not a wild sympathy wildcat strike in response when they succeeded in making their own separate deals with the teamsters and the afl cio and other unions so they just kind of stood down. Yeah, uh, we're. It's, it's going to be. It's not going to be comfortable for a lot of people. But I think the the one hope is just how much Bernie Sanders resonated. I mean, he came close. He came way too close twice for comfort for the ruling class in succeeding. But I think the problem is, and our our friend Professor Harvey J K uh, articulates it's great. There. Bernie had a, a, a real successful electoral organization, but just didn't have a narrative that kind of connected all the, all the groups together with historic trends, like with didn't quite have. I mean, he said the words working class, a diverse coalition of working class people, but it had to be a much more compelling neighbor narrative that connected us historically to movements of the past. And, um, but then when he just kind of um, took all the wind out of his, the, you know, the sails of his revolution by just say, hey, we all got to vote, we got to vote for Hillary. And then we got to all back, back Joe Biden. And Joe Biden breaking every promise he made, particularly to the young people who supported Bernie Sanders in a very spectacular way. Um, I don't know. Bernie says that he's going to support Biden if Biden runs again. You know, I just we have to wrap it up. I, yeah. I just keep thinking if Bernie had won, it was supposed to be a transformative election if he won. What if he had won a squeaker? Pelosi and Schumer would have destroyed. They, they, they would have destroyed him, I think, or maybe not. I don't know. I mean, they would have been a, it would have been a catastrophic loss if he had if he had won, for them, it would have been a catastrophic loss. And I don't think it would have been a squeaker. 
I mean, I, I really think, and it's a counterfactual and a, the alternative universe where Spock doesn't have a beard right, and right. enterprises and a pirate ship. We're in that bad universe right now. But I think he would have, I mean, there were Republicans in my own family who would have voted for Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's anecdotal, but I saw that all over the place. So, hey, yeah. we're on our own for now. And, uh, you know. But if we can, I mean, I, I make things happen here locally. If we get a couple people elected April 4th on, on our uh, to Aurora City Council, things will change. OK, so to be continued, follow <laughs> Professor Marianne on Twitter at Razor Girl. Read Professor Ann Lee over at the Daily Co's. Her handle is Annie Lee and Professor Jonathan Bick. Will you be doing the Twilight Zone this week? I hope so. We'll be teaching the Twilight Zone and also we'll be teaching Columbo and Star Trek. And I'm <laughs> watching that. Thank you, Joe in Norway. Let's go to you. Yes, Dave. What'd you do here? So I rolled some pasta very quickly. It's flour, wheat flour and barley flour salt and water and i cook the i heat up the water and then you kind of uh, mix it with the flour and hot water so it kind of pre-cooks it so it makes it a little more pliable and then you fold it several times to get a more fluffy texture and i just rolled it out sauteed some zucchini shallots and garlic salt pepper olive oil little pasta water Creamy sauce, very simple, dirt cheap. And this is good for your glycemic levels because you're. This is a pretty solid protein. I'm not so versed in the, the vitamin department, but uh, oh sure. no, in terms of spiking your blood sugar, because this is mostly gluten and protein. Yeah, I'm. I'm not able to comment on that. But, uh, well, I mean, wasn't this basically seitan? No, no, this is uh, pasta. So I think what you're thinking about is just the gluten. Right. So that's right. This, oh, this yeah. is the, the full flour, this and the starch and, and uh, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I so this is just a regular pasta. It's just a little bit uh, simpler, cheaper recipe. Right. Have and uh, maybe next week, next week, I'll possibly do a gluten free one. You can swap out uh, wheat flour for rice flour and buckwheat. What about doing an all-gluten gnocchi? Uh, that would be seitan. Yeah, but... You... Completely different dishes. Different okay. textures. Thank you, Joe in Norway. Thank you all. Take care. Hello, 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 hello. Hi, I'm David Feldman. This is The Mop-Up. Blessed are the children, so say the far-right Christian conservatives in the Republican Party. Blessed are the children, unless they're transgender, gay, poor, or at the border fling drug cartels in Honduras and Guatemala. Blessed are the children. So, let's look at their children. Specifically, Mike Huckabee's daughter, and Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee, who 
just made it easier for children under the age of 16 to find work in construction, easier to find work in construction than it is for them to find housing, food, clothing, and a better education. Blessed are the children, unless they were born the wrong way, in which case, don't use my daughter's bathroom or play on her volleyball team. In Arkansas, blessed are Mike Huckabee's children. Sarah Huckabee was Donald Trump's White House spokesperson. She is now governor of Arkansas and continues to be one of our country's most dangerous liars. She opposes abortion, even in the case of rape and incest. Blessed are the children, unless they're raped by their father. Blessed are the children, and instead of using government to make life better for children, Governor Sarah Huckabee uses her newfound power as governor to make things worse, worse for children, by persecuting transgender youth while making it easier for kids under the age of 16 to work dangerous jobs without their parents' consent. More about all that in a few minutes. But let's talk about the children. Mike Huckabee's daughter, Governor Sarah Huckabee. If you all remember back in 2017, then President Trump fired FBI Director James Comey because Comey wouldn't stop looking into Donald's relationship with Vladimir Putin. And Trump admitted this. He admitted that was the reason he fired Comey. He admitted it point blank to Lester Holt on NBC News a few days later. But when Trump's press secretary, Sarah Huckabee, was asked why Comey was fired, she chose to assassinate James Comey's character and just lie by repeating the libel that Comey was canned because he had lost the confidence of all the FBI agents working under him. Here is Sarah Huckabee lying. What led you in the White House to believe that uh, he had lost the confidence in the rank and file of the FBI when the acting director says it's exactly the opposite? Well, I can speak to my own personal experience. I've heard from countless uh, members of the FBI that are grateful and thankful for the president's decision. And I think that, um, you know, we may have to agree to disagree. I'm sure that there are some people that are disappointed, but I've certainly heard from uh, a large number of individuals, and that's just myself. And I don't even know that many people in the FBI. Okay, and that was a lie. That was an absolute lie. According to the Mueller report, Sarah Huckabee testified that her claim that she knew firsthand all about Comey being unpopular among the FBI's rank and file, that was just based on something she says she made up. She told Mueller it was, quote, an accidental slip of the tongue. Now, Sarah is from Arkansas, where normally a slip of the tongue is how she kisses her brother. But in this case, slip of the tongue meant she lied. Mueller, before the Mueller probe, was the head of the FBI. So he knew Sarah Huckabee was lying. And she knew he knew she was lying because she couldn't come up with a single name of one FBI agent who told her they hated Comey. But... She lied, lied. It wasn't a slip of the tongue. 
She lied about saying it was a slip of the tongue. Let's watch. Here is Sarah Huckabee answering a follow-up question from Michael Shear of the New York Times. Same press conference, and he wants Sarah to clarify her statement about all those FBI agents she spoke with who hated James Comey. Here she is flat out lying. And and I'm, I'm not trying to be overly combative here, but you said now today, and I think you said again yesterday, that you personally have talked to countless FBI officials, employees, since this happened. Correct. I mean... Really? Like, I mean, I, I mean, really? I mean, so are we talking between like email, like, text messages? Like absolutely. 50, yes. 67. I, I, I mean, mean like, look, we're not going to get into a numbers game. I, I mean, I have heard from a large number of individuals that work at the FBI that said that they're very happy with the president's decision. I mean, I don't I don't know what else I can say. That's a lie. A large number. It's a lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness is one of the Ten Commandments. And Sarah Huckabee insists she's a devout Christian. She's not. But when asked, she says she's a Christian first, then a mom, then a now a governor. Even when not asked, she'll tell you that she's a Christian first. Well, if you're a Christian first, uh, if you say you're a Christian first, it means you're not a Christian. If you have to tell people you're a Christian, you have to tell them that because they're not going to notice you're a Christian through your deeds. Sarah Huckabee, you're not a Christian. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Show me you're a Christian. Uh, well, it's pretty easy for her to lie. It comes very easily for her to lie. Absolutely. 50, yes. 67. I, I mean, like, look, we're not going to get into a numbers game. I, I mean, I have heard from a large number of individuals that work at the FBI that said that they're very happy with the president's decision. Hmm. Very easily for her to lie. Her dad is Mike Huckabee, seen here before meeting with Donald Trump. As you can see, he's desperately pushing in his ears, so Trump won't nickname him Dumbo. Mike uh, was a Baptist minister before he became governor of Arkansas. Religion supposedly played a huge role in Sarah Huckabee's upbringing, and that is her dad at Trump Tower right before going upstairs to tell the newly elected Donald Trump to hire his daughter, Sarah. Otherwise, Trump will lose Huckabee's far right conservative evangelical base. And here is Sarah being interviewed by the Christian Broadcasting Network couple months after becoming Donald Trump's press secretary. Remember, this is a job her father got for her. I think God uh, calls all of us to uh, fill different roles at different times. And I think that um, he wanted Donald Trump to become president, and that's why he's there. And uh, I think he has done a tremendous job in supporting a lot of the things that uh, people of faith really care about. Mm, yeah, yeah. Trump uh, is a man of God. Yeah, amazing. God wanted Trump to be president. This is literally a picture of God's chosen one, Donald Trump, mocking a New York Times reporter who suffers from congenital joint disease. You know, Jesus heals the sick. Jesus heals the sick. Trump mocks them. 
potato, potato, same thing. You know, healing the sick, mocking them, no difference. Would you like to add anything else? God's chosen one. Stormy Horseface Daniels. Yes, Stormy Horseface Daniels. That would be the porn star. Uh, God's chosen one had sex with only four months after Melania squatted out a son for him. How could a devout evangelical Baptist minister like Mike Huckabee not love Donald Trump? God's chosen one, according to the daughter, Sarah Huckabee. Back in May of 2018, then Attorney General Jeff, wait, is that for real? Is that's fake, right? There's no way Jeff Sessions. Uh, I mean, not trying to be. I mean, his ears, my God, that that must be fake. No, nope. uh, those are really his ears. Hmm. This is Jeff Beauregard Sessions from the great state of Alabama. I said sarcastically. We do things different here in Alabama. Yeah, completely wrong. Look at those ears. My God. Sessions can hear a gnat belch in China. Those are some amazing ears. Well, back in May of 2018, when he was attorney general, Jeff Sessions gave in to pressure from Donald Trump and announced that the Department of Justice would begin a zero tolerance program for immigrants crossing the border, including those seeking asylum. In direct violation of international law, undocumented asylum seekers were placed in for-profit prisons. And if they had children, well, the children would be taken from them, handed over to the Department of Health and Human Services, and shipped off to private for-profit holding cells sprinkled around our country. Blessed are the children. Sessions, Attorney General Sessions, according to the Inspector General, knew this would happen. He knew mothers would be separated from their children, but according to the Inspector General, he didn't care. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, hundreds of these children were under the age of five. And six years later, many of them still have not been reunited with their mothers. Blessed are the children. Tragic stories like this immediately began to appear in mainstream media. This was in 2018. It was reported immediately when this began in June of 2018 that a father from Honduras separated from his wife and children, took his own life in a padded jail cell after he became distraught over not being able to see them. On June 14th, 2018, CNN reported that in Texas, a Honduran woman was breastfeeding her baby when a U.S. Customs and Border Protection officer grabbed the child from her and took the child away. The Guardian reports that over a six-week period in 2018, Donald Trump separated at least 2,000 immigrant children from their parents, many of whom have still not been reunited. 
blessed are the children. Now, there are real followers of Christ. There are. Uh, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, immediately condemned the Trump administration's actions. In his statement, the true believer in the teachings of Christ wrote, At its core, asylum is an instrument to preserve the right to life. The Attorney General's recent decision elicits deep concern because it potentially strips asylum from many women who lack adequate protection. These vulnerable women will now face return to the extreme dangers of domestic violence in their home country. This decision negates decades of precedence that have provided protection to women fleeing domestic violence. Unless overturned, the decision will erode the capacity of asylum to save lives, particularly in cases that involve asylum seekers who are persecuted by private actors. We urge courts and policymakers to respect and enhance, not erode, the potential of our asylum system to preserve and protect the right to life. The right to life. Interesting choice of words there from Cardinal DiNardo. You see, uh, this is what you say and do when you actually read the New Testament. Let's, let's continue, shall we? Additionally, I joined Bishop Joe Vasquez uh, in condemning the continued use of family separation at the U.S.-Mexico border as an implementation of the administration's zero-tolerance policy. Our government has the discretion in our laws to ensure that young children are not separated from their parents and exposed to irreparable harm and trauma. Irreparable harm and trauma. Families are the foundational element of our society, and they must be able to stay together. While protecting our borders is important, we can and must do better as a government and as a society to find other ways to ensure that safety. Separating babies from their mothers is not the answer and is immoral. Separating babies from their mothers is not the answer and is immoral. Family values coming to us from people who actually read the New Testament, unlike Sarah Huckabee. Uh, you see, let's be clear here. Separating those children was intentional. It wasn't an accident. And four former first ladies, Michelle Obama, Lara Bush, Rosalind Carter, and Hillary Clinton, were so horrified, they immediately issued separate statements condemning the policy. Even Melania Trump issued a statement expressing concern because she knows firsthand what it's like to have a son grow up without a father. When Sarah Huckabee was asked by CNN's Jim Acosta about this policy of cruelty, she lied and said it was just a continuation of a law that was put into effect 
back in 2008. She she said that the Trump administration was just following the law by separating the mothers from their children. Not so, said the New York Times, which explained the separation of children from parents had not been going on since 2008 and that this policy was brand new. It was not a law. It was not a law to separate mothers from their kids. This cruelty, well, let's call it what it is, torture. It's, you read what Cardinal DiNardo said. It's unmitigated torture to tear one child away from their mother, let alone 2,000. This torture belonged to the Trump administration and was an arbitrary decree issued by Jeff Sessions on the order coming from Donald Trump. Well, Jeff Sessions, when questioned, remember Jeff Sessions, he's the attorney general. When uh, Jeff Sessions was questioned about the cruelty, he said he could easily justify separating mothers from their children because it's in the Bible. I would say... You to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained, ordained the government for his purposes. He looks positively giddy, doesn't he? And that is just blasphemy. There is absolutely nothing in the New Testament. There is nothing in the teachings of Christ that would justify taking children from their mothers Absolutely nothing. Zero. This is a desecration of the Bible. It is an affront to all true believers everywhere. Here is Sarah Huckabee, her father, Mike Huckabee, Baptist minister before he became governor. Here is Sarah Huckabee. This is her back in 2018 as the White House press spokesman. She was asked to respond to Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who had just said separating mothers from children is in the Bible. Now, keep in mind, Sarah Huckabee was given the job as White House press spokesman because her daddy, Mike Huckabee, ran for president in 2016. And Donald Trump wanted to placate Huckabee's far right conservative evangelical base. So, to please Mike Huckabee, Trump hired Huckabee's daughter, as well as Huckabee's spokesman, Hogan Gidley. Okay, here is the so-called Christian first, Sarah Huckabee. She's a Christian first, so she says. Here she is, being asked by CNN's Jim Acosta to defend Donald Trump's decision to separate 2,000 children from their mothers at the border. She was asked specifically, how do you square this with your putative, I added the word putative, your Christian beliefs? On these uh, children who are being separated from their families as they come across the border, uh, the attorney general earlier today said that uh, somehow there's a justification for this in the Bible. Uh, Where does it say in the Bible that it's moral? 
uh, to take children away from their mothers? Uh, I'm not aware of the Attorney General's comments or uh, what he would be referencing. Uh, I can say that uh, it is very biblical to enforce the law. Uh, that is actually repeated a number of times throughout the Bible. Over However, Bible this uh, hold on, Jim, if you'll let me finish. Uh, again, I'm not going to comment on the attorney's specific comments that I haven't seen. It's in the Bible to That's follow not the what law. I said, and I, I know it's hard for you to understand. Um, even short sentences, I guess, but and please don't take my words out of context. But the separation of illegal fam alien families is the product of the same legal loopholes that Democrats refuse to close. And these laws are the same that have been on the books for over a decade. And the president is simply enforcing them. Policy to take children away from their parents. Uh, but can it's you imagine the policy that to these children must be going through the when they come across the border, Jim. they're with their parents, and then suddenly they're pulled away from their parents? Why is the government? doing this because it's the law and that's what the law states and the law you're right it doesn't have to be the law and the president has actually called on Democrats in Congress to fix those loopholes the Democrats have failed to come to the table failed to help this president close these loopholes and fix this problem we don't want this to be a problem the president has tried to address it a number of occasions we've laid out a proposal and Democrats simply refuse to do their job and fix the problem you're going to burn in hell, Sarah Huckabee. You really are. Uh, the only thing more unchristian about being okay with 2,000 children separated from their mothers is defending it and then lying about it. You're going to burn in hell, Sarah Huckabee. This is a lie. Trump purposely separated those children from their mothers because he wanted to send a message do not come to America. The cruelty was the point. He wanted to energize his Fox News base through sadism. There is absolutely no law on the book that calls for separating mothers from their children. It is blasphemy to quote the Bible to justify it. And it is un-American to suggest that there would ever be a law on our books that calls for the separation of mothers from their children. You are going to burn in hell, Sarah Huckabee, for uttering such a blasphemous lie that's an insult to good Christians and patriotic Americans. You're going to burn in hell. Sarah Huckabee, as the daughter of a Baptist minister, should have read Cardinal DiNardo's protest. He wrote, our government has the discretion in our laws to ensure that young children are not separated from their parents and exposed to irreparable harm and trauma. He goes on to write, separating babies from their mothers is not the answer and is immoral. See, that is the teaching of Christ. That's from Cardinal DiNardo. Uh, it is immoral, period. It's immoral to lie and defend it. Uh, Cardinal DiNardo's Christian teachings are fantastic. Mike Huckabee and his family should try uh, learning from Cardinal DiNardo. Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee's smugness, her self-righteousness was simply too much for journalist Brian Karam, who we've had on this show. 
I'm proud to say we've had Brian on, and he interrupted. He couldn't take it as well as he should have. And notice how calm, glib, and unruffled Sarah Huckabee is. About you're it. a Jill. parent. Don't you have any empathy? Jill, go ahead. Come on, Sarah. You're a parent. Don't you have any empathy for what these people are going through? Jill. They have less than Brian, you do. Guys, Sarah, come on. Settle down. Seriously. Seriously. I'm trying to be serious, but I'm not going to have you, you yell out a turn. Jill, please call. It's a law, and, and they have, th- these people have nothing. They hey, Brian, I know you want to get some more TV it's time, but that's that. not what it's this not is about. about I want to recognize you. Go ahead, Jill. Honestly, answer the question. It's a serious question. These people have nothing. They come to the border with nothing, and you throw children in cages. You're a parent. You're a parent of young children. Don't you have any empathy for what they go through? Jill, go ahead. Two questions for you. First, did the president... You're going to burn in hell, Sarah Huckabee. You're going to burn in hell. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for separating children from their parents, just not the kids at the border, not kids from Honduras. Kids from Arkansas, specifically this gentle fellow, he is Sarah Huckabee's brother, David Huckabee, who would have benefited greatly from authorities stepping in and separating him from his father. But unfortunately, his father was the authority, Governor Mike Huckabee of Arkansas. According to acclaimed investigative journalist, Michael Isakoff, while growing up, David Huckabee was the Marquis de Sade of Little Rock. This is from Newsweek, December 15th, 2007, when Mike Huckabee was running for president. Headline, son's past could come back to bite Huckabee. Well, seems David Huckabee, Mike Huckabee's oldest son, Sarah Huckabee's brother, Seems David Huckabee, when he was 17, got fired from the Boy Scouts after he got caught in the woods hanging a stray dog. It was while he was supposed to be supervising a camping trip. Now, look at this photograph of uh, David Huckabee. Let me get rid of that headline here. Hang on. I have to go back here. Look at that. There. Look at that photograph. Uh, does he look like someone who would do something like that? I mean, sure, he's got a hangdog face, but does he seem like someone who would hang a dog? Go down on a dog, yes, absolutely. But hang a dog, David Huckabee would not do that. But we'll never know if he hanged a dog, because after animal rights activists demanded Arkansas State Police investigate whether animal cruelty laws had been broken, then-Governor Mike Huckabee, that would be David's father, according to Michael Isakoff's reporting over at Newsweek, Governor Huckabee leaned on the Arkansas State Police to cover up his son's alleged dog hanging. Governor Huckabee, according to Isakoff, ordered the police not to cooperate with prosecutors who were investigating. But please, Mike Huckabee and Sarah Huckabee, more right-wing conservative lectures about personal responsibility and how there must be consequences for our actions. The father of another Boy Scout said his son was traumatized 
seeing the dog strung over a tree branch and choking to death. And witnesses, according to Newsweek, all seem to blame David Huckabee. When contacted by Newsweek for this story, then-presidential candidate Mike Huckabee had no remorse. He dismissed the allegations, insisting it was, quote, not intentional torture, unquote. The protective father adding, there was a dog that apparently had mange and was absolutely, I guess, emaciated. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, right? That's not intentional torture. So to put the dog out of its misery, your son choked it to death by hanging it over a tree until it died a long, slow, painful death in front of a group of Boy Scouts. Not intentional torture. He didn't do it on purpose. In other words, your son is Lenny from Mice and Men, from of Mice and Men. Uh, that is Mike Huckabee's oldest son, David Huckabee, brother of Sarah Huckabee, the White House spokesperson, now a governor. Uh, she says separating children under the age of five from their mother at the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. She not only says it's in the Bible, but she says the man ordering those separations was chosen by God. And now she's the governor of Arkansas. And uh, I guess it's easy to get away with telling your voters what's in the Bible when, because of your crappy schools, they have to take your word for it. It's not like they can read the Bible in Arkansas, or at least the people who vote for the Huckabees can't. Well, some strings were pulled and David Huckabee never got charged with a crime. Not only that, he was reinstated into the Boy Scouts. I'm not making this up. And he became an Eagle Scout. This is true. An Eagle Scout. That's because the noose he tied around the dog's neck was a three-loop timber hitch knot. And David learned, David Huckabee learned how to make a three-loop timber hitch knot practicing in the backyard of the governor's mansion, repeatedly tying rope around the neck of a maple tree to heighten its orgasm. David Huckabee has had other run-ins with the law, like trying to board a commercial airline carrying a fully loaded Glock. So you can clearly see that David Huckabee comes from good stock with good Family values. This is uh, the Christmas card Governor Huckabee would send out uh, when he was uh, when the kids were younger. It's a family photo of the Huckabees taken when Mike Huckabee was uh, governor. That's Sarah, and behind the mom is uh, David Huckabee, and in front of the mom is their family dog who looks incredibly relaxed, doesn't he? Go for a walk. Nah, I'm good. Come on, we'll go for a walk. Why do I do I look like I need to go for a walk? I'm fine. I, uh, I'm part camel. I can I can hold it in for weeks. You're not going to try to hang me again, are you? Okay, that is the the Huckabee family. Isn't that great? Uh, yeah, Mike Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee. 
Give us the recipe. Give the rest of America the recipe. How can we raise our wholesome family just like the Huckabees? Look at this family. Seriously, this holier, these holier than thou, self-righteous, pompous pricks. This is how many toilet plungers you think these mouth breathers go through during one Christmas dinner? 16, 18. Yeah. Teach me, Mike Huckabee. Show me the path so I can end up like you and your family. Well, years have passed. And here is David Huckabee today. Kind of sad, isn't it? Boy, he's turned out very sad. Not as sad as getting away with killing a dog by hanging it, however. He is an actor and a screenwriter. And uh, this photograph that you see of him is, I'm not making this up, David Huckabee acting in the 2018 movie Christmas, A Revenge Tale. This is his acting. This is him acting in Christmas, A Revenge Tale which was filmed on location inside the folds beneath his chin, because one of them, I think it's the fourth chin, is a right-to-work state. Hey, leave the kids out of it. Okay, Huckabees, you first. You leave my kids out of it. Leave the gay kids, the transgender kids out of it. The only kids you're willing to leave out are at the border. This is from the Arkansas Times back in 2005 when David Huckabee was a little younger. And this is April 14th, 2005, Arkansas Times. Speaking of movies and Huckabees, John Mark Huckabee. Wow, two names from the New Testament, John and Mark. John Mark Huckabee, son of Governor Mike Huckabee, was one of the five winners of a PICO Fellowship in Screenwriting, which is awarded to applicants who intend to specialize in Christian screenwriting. It provides five months of living expenses to write at a community design for the fellowship winners on Bowen Island, British Columbia. As a result, next month, Huckabee will leave the office of U.S. Representative John Boozman, where he is Director of Constituent Correspondence. Director of Constituent Correspondence means he has a letter opener. I wonder how he got that job. I wonder who got it for him. Uh, well, a lot of things handed to him. A lot of things handed to these Huckabee kids. So he got that uh, Pico fellowship in Christian screenwriting back in 2005. But David's uh, David Huckabee's screenwriting and acting career never really took off. Uh, I don't know. He looks like he could be a good actor. This is I'm not making this up. This is an actual scene of uh, David Huckabee from his 2018 movie Christmas, A Revenge Tale. This is what he looks like. Uh, And he plays Bumpus. Bumpus, seen here laughing hysterically while committing an act of murder with an assault weapon. Yeah, we need more Christian-themed movies like this one. This is uh, the same David Huckabee who was arrested for carrying a loaded Glock onto a commercial airline. How is he not on the no-fly list? 
How is he not on a no-fly list? Not because of the guns, because of all the jet fuel Frontier Airlines could save, not straining to achieve liftoff. That would be Mike Huckabee's oldest son, Mike Huckabee, and his daughter, Governor Sarah. They're so busy protecting kids from seeing someone using the wrong restroom, right? In Arkansas... They're passing a law to make it a crime to use the wrong bathroom. And the governor is going to sign that. Governor Sarah Huckabee is going to sign the bill in Arkansas that makes it a crime to use the wrong bathroom. And I never understood this obsession with bathrooms, but now I get it. Because that's where the Huckabees spend most of their time. Most of the Huckabees' time is spent on the toilet, preparing to be on the toilet, looking for a toilet, prepping the toilet, blessing the toilet, repainting the toilet, buying a toilet, returning a toilet, designing a toilet, changing the airbags on their toilet, adjusting the shoulder harness on their toilets, and of course, the four days of necessary recovery time after being on the toilet. The entire Huckabee family looks at a toilet the way you and I look at our mattress, right? You're going to spend one-third of your life sleeping on a mattress, right? So you want your bed to be comfortable. Likewise, the Huckabee family spends one-third of their life sitting on the toilet, and they want to make sure they're surrounded only by people who don't make them feel uncomfortable. That's why they're so obsessed with who's using their bathroom, You know, maybe if the Huckabee switched to a vegan diet like me, they would be in, they'd be out, and they wouldn't have to notice the gender or sexuality of the person using the stall next to them. And the Huckabees, the Huckabees are worried about men competing in their daughter's chosen sport. What sport are the Huckabee granddaughters playing? Competitive queefing? Anyway... Uh, leave the children out of it. No, you you go first. You leave my kids out of it. Anyway, back to John Huckabee. Uh, so his Christian screenwriting and acting career never materialized. But you know how it is in show business. It's who you know. So David Huckabee last year found a job working in Arkansas government where it's not who you know. It's who knows who your father is. Uh, No, he was hired on merit. Right? People don't care who David Huckabee's father is. He was hired simply on his merit. Uh, You know, the way the Trump administration picked Sarah Huckabee, right? She was chosen completely on merit, not because Mike Huckabee threatened to take away Trump's evangelical base. No, Donald Trump wanted someone like Sarah Huckabee being the face of his administration. We know what Donald Trump is like. How could he resist a charmer like Sarah Huckabee? She's definitely his type. I believe he'd call her right out of central casting. He had nothing but complimentary things to say about Sarah Huckabee behind her back. It was all on merit. That's how she got the job, because of her communication skills. Now, Why am I singling out the Huckabees? Because Mike Huckabee 
is opposed to same-sex marriage, medical treatment for transgender youth. His daughter is now governor. She's opposed to same-sex marriage, medical treatment for transgender youth, same-sex adoptions. They're all about family values and traditional family values. And they say government should leave families alone and let families decide what's best for their children, right? Stay out of the schools, homeschool, no interference from people with too many degrees. Okay. Well, if you're going to say that, if you're going to say you believe in families and, and you insist some people aren't raising their family properly, let's look at your family because the proof is in the pudding. And I'm looking at a lot of proof and way too much pudding. Now, the Huckabees stand in judgment of my lifestyle and your lifestyle. Well, in that case, their lifestyle better be better than ours before they get to be holier than thou. And from where I'm standing, the Huckabees family values, well, as they say in Arkansas, that dog don't hunt because David Huckabee just hung it from a tree. It's an old expression in Arkansas. That dog don't hunt because David Huckabee just hung it from a tree. So, yeah, some parents should be separated from their kids, especially if the father is Arkansas governor, former Arkansas governor, Mike Huckabee. According to Max Brantley of the Arkansas Times, he's been covering Mike Huckabee for decades. Mike Huckabee loves money. In an article for Salon back in 2007, Brantley writes, quote, Huckabee seems to love loot. That would be money. Loot. Huckabee seems to love loot and has a dismissive attitude towards ethics, campaign finance rules, and propriety in general, unquote. Brantley goes on to write that with time as governor, Huckabee's ethical questions multiplied. Brantley says that the former Baptist minister turned governor, Mike Huckabee, used campaign funds to pay himself as his own media consultant, and he misappropriated other campaign donations to cover family expenses, because it's all about the family. As governor, Mike Huckabee took tens of thousands of dollars as gifts and then rewarded the bearer of those gifts with government jobs. You know, pay to play. You had to give Mike Huckabee a gift first before he'd give you a job. According to the article, then-Governor Mike Huckabee even stole the office furniture as he was moving out of the governor's office. Nice, nice. Baptist minister. Huckabee, Brantley writes, used the governor's mansion's official expense account to pay for personal things like visits to Taco Bell, new clothes, and dry cleaning bills. Taco Bell, new clothes, and dry cleaning bills. Taco Bell, new clothes, 
and dry cleaning bills. Why do I think it always went precisely in that order? Trip to Taco Bell, then new clothes and dry clean the old ones. Mike Huckabee goes to Taco Bell. An hour later, his aide to camp is ordered to run into Dillard's for a fresh pair of pants while Mike waits in the car. And then they all drive these soiled pants over to the dry cleaner. Yeah. Taco Bell, new clothes and dry cleaning bills. Your tax dollars hard at work. So this is why Arkansas's Ethics Commission sanctioned Huckabee five times while he was governor. And how about this? 30 years after Mike Huckabee got married, he and his wife, before leaving the governor's office and stealing the furniture, they took out a wedding registry registry at several Arkansas department stores so, quote, unquote, friends could buy them all the furnishings they needed to decorate their new home. This would be wedding gifts 30 years after they, I was going to say tied the knot, but I don't want to give David Huckabee any ideas. Look, if you're establishing wedding registries 30 years after you're married to accept illegal gifts as governor, you've lost all moral authority to pass judgment on anyone's marriage, same sex or otherwise. And yet, Governor Mike Huckabee has the effrontery to say he doesn't approve of same-sex marriage or same-sex adoptions. Nobody asked I don't approve of your marriage, Mike Huckabee, and I don't approve of how you raised your kids. They are lying sadists, and Child Protective Services should have grabbed them 25 years ago, and the police should have locked you up for graft. But you're busy judging the way kids are born, You're judging same-sex couples. This is from 2016. This is Mike Huckabee. You're going to see a lot of video of Mike Huckabee supporting Kim Davis for persecuting same-sex couples. Kim Davis. jail cheered by a crowd of supporters. The Bible trumps man's law every day. Praise the Bible Jesus. is the word of God and it is greater than the law. A small Kentucky town now at the epicenter for discontent with the Supreme Court's historic ruling making same-sex marriage legal coast to coast. A county clerk now a cause celeb for the religious far right. Uh, it seems like the minority rules now instead of the majority in this country. Her supporters saying her rights are are being trampled. And if somebody needs to go to jail, I'm willing to go in her place. Two Republican presidential candidates visited Kim Davis before her release, Ted Cruz and Mike Huckabee. The courage of her convictions was more important uh, than simply even her own freedom. And she was willing to go to jail for what she believed. Davis says she cannot issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples because of her religious beliefs. This is a cruel and vindictive man. 
Max Brantley wrote in 2020 that Huckabee moved out of Florida and back to Arkansas in preparation for his daughter's run for governor. The former Baptist minister sold his $6 million Santa Rosa, Florida home, which he spent $3 million on just to fix it up. The Baptist minister turned governor uh, had a home in Florida that was a three-story, 10,000-square-foot monstrosity with six bedrooms, seven-and-a-half bathrooms, and a pool. That's seven-and-a-half bathrooms and a pool, or when David Huckabee visited, eight-and-a-half bathrooms and no pool. <laughs> eight-and-a-half bathrooms Hey, Mike Huckabee, uh, you're so busy trying to stop same-sex marriage and you don't want gay couples to adopt. Your kids turned out really bad. Instead of worrying about how we're raising our kids, you tend your own garden and maybe grow some vegetables to feed that son of yours. I don't think he's ever tasted a carrot. Seriously, Mike Huckabee, I mean this. You failed as a father, from one father to another, you are a failure as a father. I mean, look at these people who gave any of them the right to moralize on sexuality or lifestyle choices. Your way is clearly the wrong way, Mike Huckabee. It is the wrong way. Mother Jones reported back in 2009 that the Baptist minister turned governor, Mike Huckabee, built his Florida mansion along a public beach. But he didn't want to share that beach with any strangers because every time he tried to lay on the sand, strangers would chain him to a tow truck and drag him back out to sea. So Mike Huckabee banded together with other wealthy Florida homeowners and decided to privatize the beach, even though it was against the law. But that didn't stop the police from doing the governor's bidding by throwing people off his stolen beach. He just it wasn't his wasn't his to throw anybody off, but he got the police to throw people off the beach because he decided it was his in 2012, Mike Huckabee quietly went before a judge who sold him the part of the beach in front of his home for $400. A, a judge working for Florida secretly hived off the beach and s transferred ownership from the state of Florida to Mike Huckabee. And then Mike Huckabee bought the house next door for another $3 million, and then he tried to extend his private beach a little further. It's outrageous, but a campaign contribution here, a phone call there, and despite Florida's statewide law specifically saying that the beaches belong to everybody, soon... Nobody was allowed on Mike Huckabee's private beach ever again. But tell me, Mike Huckabee, how the coastal elitists all think they're so much better than everybody else. 
you are literally a coastal elitist. Okay. About uh, Mike Huckabee's weight. Now, I'm told don't body shame. And yet, this family has made a career shaming other people's bodies, especially the bodies of transgender children. Now, gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. I think Mike Huckabee would know that since he used to be a Baptist minister. And uh, this is clinically, I'm not body shaming here. I will in a few minutes, but now I'm not. Mike Huckabee, as you can see from this picture, uh, is uh, morbidly obese, which means he has a problem with gluttony. And you see, the problem with the Huckabees, the problem with uh, right-wing conservatives is there's never any accountability, right? They judge others, but when it comes to their own issues, it's don't judge me by what I do, just judge me by what I say, right? This is Mike Huckabee campaigning in Georgia last year with Herschel Walker, and her, Huckabee supported Herschel Walker, even though Mike Huckabee is pro-life and Herschel Walker turned out to be pro-abortion, as in he's responsible for so many abortions, he might as well go pro. When Huckabee was governor back in 2003, he weighed 300 pounds and was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. So he went on a diet, and his diet was the best because it worked for him. And because he was a, a, con a convert to eating properly, he decided to proselytize because what works for Mike Huckabee has to work for everyone. The same way, you know, he was born again. If I'm born again and it works for me, and apparently it doesn't, but if it works for me, it has to work for everybody. So he decided, after he lost weight as governor, to push his, his weight loss plan on everybody. He converted Arkansas, or at least he tried to convert Arkansas as governor. He wrote a diet book where he preached personal responsibility, exercise, and making the right food choices. You know, personal responsibility. And the newly and temporarily thin governor, spoiler alert, he gained it all back and then some, Huckabee as governor, he had lost all the weight, right? He ordered all school children to step on scales. He body shamed every kid in Arkansas. They had to step on scales and their official weight was sent home with their report cards. It worked so well with your kids, Mike, didn't it? Convert, do it my way. He told kids to eat properly and exercise. Well, at the same time, as governor, he gave Pizza Hut, McDonald's, and Burger King Arkansas's healthy food seal of approval. Hmm. Well, a year after his weight loss initiative, according to the New York Times, 
Arkansas's obesity rate increased. His state got heavier, and so did he. Mike, you always talk about accountability. Well, I'm afraid on this policy, I have to give you an F. And that F stands for flatulent. Like I just said, eventually Huckabee gained his weight back and then some. But that didn't stop him. That did not stop him from continuing to speak out about discipline and self-control and, of course, the power of prayer to resist the temptation of eating too much. As he was putting his pounds back on, he was still out there sermonizing and lecturing on how to lose weight. In 2007, as he was piling back on the pounds, he wrote a book entitled Quit Digging Your Grave with a Knife and Fork, a 12-stop program to end bad habits and begin a healthy lifestyle. Huckabee writes that the government cannot change people's eating habits. He said the government cannot be the quote-unquote grease police. Like I said, the book was written after he and Arkansas got much fatter. But that didn't stop him from lecturing the rest of us on how to get thin. Don't judge me by what I do. Judge me by what I say. As of 2022, Arkansas is the sixth fattest state in America with nearly 40%. 40% of the entire population of Arkansas is clinically obese. And now that Mike Huckabee has left Florida and moved back to Arkansas to advise his daughter, she's the new governor, uh, he's going to be one of those morbidly obese citizens of Arkansas, but he's still lecturing on how to lose weight. Don't judge me by what I am. Judge me by what I say I am. You need personal responsibility. That's how you lose weight. No help from the government. Don't rely on the government, says Mike Huckabee. Don't rely on a paycheck from the government, unless it's a government job for one of my kids. Mike Huckabee, if you haven't figured this out yet, is a huckster, a scam artist who puts gold before Jesus. Mike Huckabee loves food, but not nearly as much as he loves money. By 2015, the morbidly obese again, Huckabee, began doing an infomercial. They paid him six figures, claiming he reversed his diabetes type 2 and lost all that weight even though, and I'm showing you a picture here, even though he was back to being morbidly obese, he was saying, hey, I lost all this weight and kicked diabetes by, this is how he kicked diabetes, and I wish I was making this up. 
he was promoting a cinnamon diet. Again, I wish I were making this up. Huckabee recorded a series of infomercials back in 2015 selling a new diet plan that, when you go to the website, claims the secret to kicking diabetes, and I wish I were making this up, can be found in Cinnabons. Cinnabons. Uh, I'm still digesting a Cinnabon I had at JFK Airport 20 years ago. The website has pictures of Cinnabons, and it claims that Cinnabons hold the miracle cure for diabetes. Here is morbidly obese Mike Huckabee in 2015, his infomercial telling you how to kick diabetes without insulin. Hello, I'm Mike Huckabee. Let me tell you that diabetes can be reversed. I should know because I did it, and today you can too. It's all about making simple lifestyle changes and healthier food choices. And there is no other way to reverse diabetes. Prescription drugs aren't going to cure you. They're only going to keep you a loyal, pill-popping, finger-pricking, insulin-shooting customer so Big Pharma and the mainstream medical community can rake in over $100 billion a year annually. You're going to burn in hell for that. So you're, you're selling alternatives to insulin, Mike Huckabee. You're going to burn in hell. I don't know much, but I know that you're going to burn in hell telling people not to take insulin for their diabetes. And this gives you insight into why people, you know, like Joe Rogan and Alex Jones, uh, you know, push ivermectin. It's why people are anti-vax. It's to tap into that $100 billion a year drug market by selling idiots something that will kill them, but make Mike Huckabee rich. Uh, this is a phony cure for diabetes that a that Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas, presidential candidate, uh, this is a phony cure for diabetes. He was telling people to forego insulin. He says drugs don't work and that there's no other way. And there is no other way. Yeah, there's no other way. There's no other way. The way I live, there's no other way. The God, the God I pray to, there's, there's no other way. Okay, since there's no other way, tell us, oh, morbidly obese Mike Huckabee, how you kicked diabetes. Go ahead. You can avoid the side effects that could lead to needing more drugs. You don't have to be a part of this failed system any longer a failed healthcare system that you don't have to be a part of any longer. This is a, a governor, a presidential candidate who's advising people. It's a failed healthcare system and you don't need to be a part of it anymore. Don't fix the healthcare system. Leave it. See how the morbidly obese Mike Huckabee works. He runs for president doesn't want to bring down the cost of insulin or life-saving cancer drugs. He just calls it all a failed system. So forget it. Forget Medicare for all. Forget Obamacare. I'm against it. 
Forget cheaper drugs. Forget forcing big pharma to negotiate with Medicare. I'm against it. It's a failed system. Do your own homework and get this new book from Diabetes Solution, which will teach you how to kick diabetes by stuffing Cinnabons into your face. Because today you have an amazing opportunity to stop diabetes in its tracks and actually reverse it, just as I did, simply and naturally. Naturally. It's all about nature, unless it comes to climate change. Naturally. Naturally. Not with insulin. Do it naturally with Cinnabons. I want to know if Mike Huxterbee... At this weight, I mean, he is morbidly obese. I want to know how his diabetes is. Uh, you don't think he's shooting insulin? I think he's shooting insulin. Uh, you know, shooting insulin in between shooting pastry guns of almond merengue up his ass. Uh, we can't have Medicare for all because of uh, grifters like Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee, these uh, grifters who feel aggrieved by big government Washington, D.C. bureaucrats telling them how to live their lives. Well, someone needs to tell Mike Huckabee how to live his life. All I know is no big government bureaucrat from Washington, D.C. ever killed thousands of people by telling them to forget insulin and instead shove Cinnabons in your mouth. Of course, Mike Huckabee hates the FTC and the Food and Drug Administration. They crack down and on scam artists like Mike Huckabee. That's why I'm strongly suggesting that you look into this product from Barton Publishing called the Diabetes Solution Kit. And I should know it works. No, you shouldn't know. You're morbidly obese. It doesn't work. Uh you don't know anything. You and your entire family are disasters. You're disasters. This is how, however, Donald Trump gets the hard right conservative evangelical Republican vote. Mike Huckabee delivers it. And that's why Trump had to hire the daughter. Uh, his idiots, I, I hate to call them idiots, but... Uh, that's unfair, but he's, you know, they are idiots. Uh, they believe whatever Mike tells them to believe. Donald Trump is a good Christian. Okay, if you say so. Uh, hey, I'm Mike Huckabee, and I'm thin, and you can be thin too by eating Cinnabons. Okay, I mean, uh, you look kind of morbidly obese. No, I'm thin. Well, you look fat. No, I'm thin. How can I be fat if I'm writing diet books and selling miracle diabetes cures? This is how it works among true believers. This is how it works. And it always has. It always has. And Mike Hucksterby knows that. He's a huckster. You don't need to behave like a Christian. Just say you're a Christian. My son hanged a dog, and we don't give a shit about the poor, but we're Christian. As a matter of fact, we're more Christian than you are. And stop talking about my kids. Kids are off limits. 
That's what they'll always say. These bullies, they're bullies. You know, my kids are off limit again, but my kids, your kids aren't off limits, right? If your kid is gay or a transgender American or needs an abortion because your kid raped her, our kids aren't off limits. Mike Huckabee and his ilk get to stand in judgment of uh, how our kids were born, how we raise them. They get to stand, Huckabee gets to stand in judgment of our lifestyle choices when in fact, Mike Huckabee His lifestyle choices are giving him and his family diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and most importantly, they smell bad. And they offer nothing to Americans other than prayer and an early death. Look at these Huckabees. You think they're doing it right? You think they have any moral high ground to stand in judgment of anyone. This is the only family in America that lies by taking credit for the dog's farts. When the dog farts, they go, that was mine. I'm the healthy one. The dog's farts are the only healthy farts in that house. Uh, No, I'm being cruel. We should be nice to people like the Huckabees. Be nice to people who make rape victims carry babies to full term. Make nice with people who persecute transgender children, who shame the gays, forbid them from marrying and adopting children. Be nice to people who celebrate violence, who want more AR-15s on the street, Be nice to people who lie for a living, who gaslight the American people by blaming Democrats for for Trump separating mothers from their children at the border, when in fact Trump and Sessions did that because of the cruelty. But be nice to the adult children of Mike Huckabee who take from the government, take a family that takes private beaches, they take salaries from the government and return nothing to the taxpayers. They preach personal responsibility while having jobs handed to them. And all the while, they lie and call themselves disciples of Christ, doing nothing to help the homeless or the least amongst us. No, let's not make fun of them even though they stand in judgment of our lifestyle choices. The truth is Mike Huckabee is morbidly obese and he's a con artist who goes on television and gets away with lying about the way he looks. He's selling diet books and bogus cures for diabetes. I'm sorry, Mike Huckabee's gluttony is very much germane to the conversation. In his infomercial, he tells viewers to, quote unquote, ignore Big Pharma. Hi, I'm Mike Huckabee, preacher, politician and broadcaster. And I'm here to tell you diabetes can be reversed. And I should know because I did it. And so can you doesn't address the soaring cost of insulin, 
Instead, he says, ignore Big Pharma. Don't take insulin. Stuff Cinnabons into your face. Now, obviously, the American Diabetes Association warns that what Huckabee promoted not only won't cure your diabetes, it'll kill you. Well, after a, a few months, uh, Huckabee severed ties with the Diabetes Solution Kit, and he turned his attention to promoting the miracle cure for cancer found in the Bible. Did you know there's a miracle cure for cancer in the Bible? It's called the Matthew 4 Protocol, and it is free, he says, with a $72 subscription to a health newsletter that he's selling in his email that gets sent out. The Matthew 4 Protocol, it's all in this book uh, called The Bible's Healing Code Revealed. It shows you how to defeat cancer through fasting, you know, the same way Jesus did while spending 40 days in the desert. And of course, you have to purchase, and again, I wish I were making this up, you have to purchase the Crown of Thorns extract. The Crown of Thorns extract. Mike Huckabee, you're a Baptist minister. How do you sleep at night, Mike Huckabee? How? With relaxium sleep, I fall asleep as soon as my head hits the pillow. <laughs> he also is pushing relaxium sleep. That's the other cure. He's a uh, cure for insomnia that he's hawking. Relaxium sleep. Why do I get the feeling Huckabee's bed sheets look more like he's taking exlaxium sleep? Spare me. Lectures from red state bottom dwellers like Mike Huckabee and his daughter on what is best for America. The results are in your beloved Arkansas, along with Louisiana, Texas, West Virginia, South Carolina, and all those other bastions of Republican rot rank the lowest when it comes to life expectancy, literacy and health. When Republicans like Mike Huckabee or now Sarah Huckabee control a state, gun deaths go up and good jobs disappear. If you live in a red state like Arkansas, you're more likely to commit suicide or end up addicted to drugs. The far right Christian Republican policies on everything from abortion to taxes reek of failure. That's why red state politicians only win by magically keeping people from voting while keeping those who do vote collectively uninformed. Last month, Governor Sarah Huckabee delivered the Republican Party's official response to Joe Biden's State of the Union, where she said the difference between Republicans and Democrats is... Normal versus crazy. That's what she said. It's a choice between normal versus crazy. Yeah. Sarah Huckabee is normal. As in, when your father teaches you all the wrong lessons from the Bible, this is normally how you turn out. 
Is it normal to have a brother hang a dog and then have your father covered up? Do you know anybody whose brother hanged a dog? Normal? It's normal to work in the White House lying for a serial rapist like Donald Trump while calling yourself a devout Christian? Yeah, perfectly normal. Not crazy. Normal. Last week, Sarah Huckabee signed into law a bill making it easier for slaughterhouses and construction firms to hire workers under the age of 16. How is it remotely normal to cut the social safety net, but make it easier for children under the age of 16 to go out there and support their family instead of doing what is normal for kids to do, like homework, reading, playing sports, goofing off. And did I mention homework, you anti-intellectual science-denying rube? You're bringing back child labor, and you think that's normal? Apparently, when Sarah Huckabee ran as a mother, promising the children of Arkansas would be watched over, she was talking about the shop foreman at Amazon making sure little Bobby isn't taking one too many pee breaks. Sarah Huckabee, or any Huckabee, is not entitled to any opinions on what is best for our children. We saw how the Huckabees turned out. Whatever they say, do the opposite. Governor Sarah Huckabee is also about to sign into a law, a bill that will charge transgender people with sexual indecency if they use the wrong restroom. Welcome to the Republican Party where bathrooms are more dangerous for kids than slaughterhouses. Yeah, I mean, sure, David Huckabee hanged a dog, but it's not like he used the wrong bathroom. None of these policies benefit the children of Arkansas who are falling behind the rest of America. Arkansas has some of the highest illiteracy rates, and lowest number of college graduates in America, which explains why they keep electing Huckabees. Sarah and Mike Huckabees, Arkansas, just like the Huckabee family, is a disaster. Arkansas ranks among the bottom states in America when it comes to life expectancy. Arkansas ranks among the highest when it comes to infant mortality, blessed are the children, homicides, gun deaths, single moms, teen pregnancies, and divorce. Yeah, all that right-wing conservative white Christian nationalism turned out just perfect for everyone in Arkansas. Yep. Sarah Huckabee is right. It's a choice between crazy and normal. So what exactly is normal 
in Huckabee's, Arkansas, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. That's normal. Arkansas is number three in heart disease, number six in cancer, number three in diabetes. And thanks to Mike Huckabee's for-profit diatribes, thanks to Mike Huckabee's for-profit diatribes against Big Pharma, Arkansas is number five in people dying from the flu because you're going to trust a vaccine. It's all about personal choice. Premature death, diabetes, obesity, and illiteracy, general ignorance, that might be normal in Arkansas. But compared to the rest of America, Arkansas is far from normal. No, Arkansas is way, way, way behind the curve because the rest of America is doing much, 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 much better than Arkansas. Sarah Huckabee and her father have nothing to teach the rest of America because they are inferior to the rest of America. Mike Huckabee and Sarah Huckabee and that entire family are loathsome, repulsive grifters who give bigotry and intolerance a bad name. So, next time Sarah Huckabee tells voters that picking Democrats or Republicans is a choice between normal and crazy, she should be honest about who the crazy ones are. You're the crazy one, Sarah Huckabee. It is crazy to persecute LGBTQ children, to fight same-sex marriage. It is crazy to get rid of child labor laws while your state is dying. It is crazy. Well, please join the conversation in the comments section below. I read all the comments. I try to answer uh, some of them. I can't answer all the comments, but I read all the comments. And this entire episode was inspired by a comment that I read. So uh, thank you uh, for that comment. This entire episode was inspired by the comment sections. So please uh, help me by leaving comments. I read everything that you write, everything. I don't respond to everything. You'll know if I've read it. There should be a heart next to it. Uh, I read everything. And uh, please join me for office hours every Friday night. I'm there from 8 to 9.30, and I make myself available, for better or worse, to the listeners. And you're all welcome to come to office hours. You need Zoom, or you can dial in. Uh, but most of you know how to work Zoom, but you can dial in. Go to my website and hit office hours and it will give you the link 
and you just log in. And while you're over there, please uh, sign up for my newsletter. While you're over at my website, please uh, sign up for my newsletter. It comes out every Friday. And the only reason you're listening to me right now, the only reason is because one of your friends copied and pasted the link to an episode and sent it to you via email or posted it to social media. Uh, I'm not getting any uh, corporate underwriting. Uh, I'm not part of any network. This is, we're, we're a small little show here. And uh, so the best way to support me is to tell a couple of your friends to listen to this podcast. Uh, I thank you so much for taking time to listen to what I have to say. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak.